0: The hockey journey of this two-time memorial cup champion was started on the ponds of edmonton alberta his nhl career finished up on the biggest pond in edmonton alberta that's rexall place in between he had nhl stops on long island vancouver chicago and the bright lights of new york city he also traveled to europe and played some in hungary in switzerland and sweden and all along the way he left a path of destruction wherever he went Ladies and gentlemen, today I bring you the voice of Edmonton Sports, Jason Strudwick.
1: nice and really getting some good right hands in.
2: Gillies is down with Sanstum. Somebody better help Sanstum. Everyone must
0: be held accountable for their actions.
2: You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it.
1: Oh my. Did Nick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head.
2: I just did. The spinning, spinning.
1: Who's he going to go after? The right drop the
0: to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. I'm your host, Joe Lizito. So before we get uh, right down to it with the episode this week, there's a few things that uh, I would like to address with what's going on in the world right now. Um, First thing is we're, you know, balls deep into this coronavirus, and yet I still can't believe there are people out there that uh, that they're not taking this seriously. Um, Every day on the news, And you know I'm not a news watcher, but I do watch the local news. Um, Every day on the news, the numbers continue to grow and continue to grow. And yet also on the news, I'm seeing uh, people having public gatherings. Uh, My wife works in the five towns, and uh, there seems to be some sort of public gathering every other day there. I don't know if people think they're immune to this stuff or what, but uh, it just boggles my mind. Even today on one of the local message boards on Facebook, uh, my wife was reading about a couple of towns over that uh, people were saying they saw groups of kids, I guess teenagers, um, seven, eight, nine, in a group uh, hanging out outside of a pizzeria. And uh, it wasn't like they were six feet apart from each other. So um, I I don't quite get that. If you're allowing your kids to go out in groups, I don't uh, don't really understand that. Uh, I'm not here to parent. Uh, anybody or to to teach you how to parent but um, you know my son my oldest son he works in the BJ's and uh, they're they continue to be open and uh, he takes every precaution Uh, they have he wears uh, gloves he wears a mask uh, he maintains his distance from people Um, and uh, we hate that he has to go to work Uh, we absolutely hate it I wish uh, I wish he didn't have to do it Uh, But the the store stays open. He gets his hours. He wants to work, and that's fine. He's not going out before work. He's not getting together with his friends after work. He does his job, and he comes home, and he stays in. Um, My youngest son, he's pretty much in all day. We do sometimes go for walks as a family. Uh, We, uh, you know, we're around each other, so we don't necessarily need to keep the six feet distance from each other. We're around each other all day, but we go out. We make sure that we're protected, and we make sure we're we protect others from us. Uh, we're not geniuses. To me, this is just common sense. I don't, uh, I, I don't understand. Like, uh, we're, we're in this thing now. Like I said, we're balls deep into this and uh, people are losing their jobs and businesses are closing and people are dying. Uh, I don't know what some people need to take this shit seriously. Uh, stay inside. If you don't have to go outside, don't. Stay inside. The more you stay inside and the more people that stay inside, maybe we can get past this thing. Um, I don't, I don't. like I said, I don't understand it. It still boggles my mind. Um, every day on social media, people are filming bullshit that's happening with these people who aren't respecting this virus. People are fucking dying. So uh, I, I, I could go on and on about this, but I won't. But please, um, I, I've rallied against these celebrities, telling you to keep your distance and stay inside because um, to me it the message could come from anybody it doesn't have to come from a movie star or uh, a TV star or a singer or anyone like that you shouldn't listen to them because of their station in life so I'm you if you're listening to this chances are you're like I am I am uh, I'm just a ham and egger I work two jobs I have a wife, I have two kids, and I live paycheck to paycheck. Uh, so chances are, I'm you. So take it from yourself. Stay inside. If you have to go out, obviously we all have to go out. We need groceries. Uh, we need whatever it is. I mean, you're going out because you need stuff. But when you go out, protect yourself. I mean, uh, you don't want to get something. And just because you don't show symptoms, you can't give it to someone in your family. So, um, just take it from yourself. I am, I am an average guy. I, like I said, I'm a ham and am I'm, I'm a nobody. So um, I'm just a common man. I'm, a, I'm just a regular guy. And chances are, if you're listening to this, you're a regular guy or gal too. So um, listen to someone in your station that uh, we need to really just uh, pay attention to what's going on out there and uh, stay inside unless you absolutely have to go out and uh, keep your kids inside, and, and hopefully at some point things can return back to whatever the new normal is going to be. Uh, I don't think we return to where we were a couple of months ago. I, don't, I think that's history. There will be a new normal at some point, hopefully, and I'd like to get there sooner rather than later, so please, everybody, just use your heads. Um, second thing I'd like to talk about is obviously with a virus, um, everyone is focused on their physical health because um, obviously people get sick, people are dying, some people are getting... I, listen, it's not some people. I think the majority of people that are contracting this virus are getting better. Um, obviously the number of people that have the virus and the number of pe- number of people who are passing away is v- vastly different. So the people who are getting this, uh, the majority of them are recovering. Unfortunately, not everybody is. Um, but the, the focus really has been on the physical health of people and and as it should be. But um, I just want to take a second to remind everybody that uh, there are a lot of people that have mental illness that are really suffering through this. Um, You know, they don't like to be inside and they're having a hard time coping with this. I mean, people without mental illness, I'm sure are having a hard time with this. Like I said, this is our new reality. And uh, for someone that doesn't suffer from mental illness, this is tough. For someone who does suffer from mental illness, this is excruciating, and um, uh, you know. I just want to let everybody know out there that uh, now more than ever, it seems like there are so many people willing to lend an ear, uh, you know, and uh, just talk people through things. Uh, it just seems that way every day on my social media. I see people that are uh, reaching out to other people. If you need uh, if you need hands, send a direct message or just post it here or whatever. So um, if you're someone that suffers from mental illness, just again, realize you're not alone, you're never alone. And uh, this is a really tough situation for everybody to deal with. But like I said, if you have mental illness, this is, this is really bad. So um, I would say for those of you with mental illness, just confide in somebody or talk to somebody, you're not alone, you're never alone. There's plenty of people out there. And if you're someone that's dealing with someone with a mental illness. And if you yourself don't suffer from it, I would say just breathe before you react. I would say take a step back before you react and put yourself in that person's shoes because you should feel fortunate that you don't suffer from it. And uh, unfortunately, um, you know, people that have mental illness have no control over it. And uh, it's like uh, if you're born with a, a physical ailment, or a disease, you had no control over that. People with mental illness had no control over that. So, um, like I said, I would just ask if you're if you're dealing with someone that suffers from a mental illness, uh, especially now more than ever, uh, try to show some compassion. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can all get through this together. Um, you know, this is uncharted territory for everybody. I don't know how many people were around during the plague, but uh, if they're still around, I doubt it, that would be uh, amazing. But this is all uncharted territory for all of us. So, um, you know, we just have to work together. And um, like I said, if you suffer from mental illness, you're not alone. And uh, everybody just try to be a little more compassionate to people, uh, whether they suffer or not, but especially if they do suffer. And the third point I wanna say, and this is something that's a bone of contention of mine, Uh, It's just people with their political views. We have a disease right now that is killing people. And yet, day after day, across my social media, all I see is fucking people just spreading their political pollution. Whether you like Trump or you don't like Trump, Jesus fucking Christ, give it a rest. Honestly, like, stop with your political nonsense. It's a fucking disease that's killing people. It's not time for you to fucking post your political nonsense. I mean, if that's what gets you through the day, do it. Uh, it it's, uh, to me, it's no time to be praising any politician or shooting down any politician. Just let's get through this. I, and I don't know if that's a coping mechanism for some people to praise someone. You know, let's, just, let's just say Trump because he's the, he's the lightning rod. So if you're on your, your social media praising this guy or you're on your social media just killing this guy, I don't quite get the point. Let's maybe just focus it on, on something real like your family or your friends that might be having a hard time, instead of posting the same political bullshit. It's, it's just after a while. I don't understand. Doesn't it get old after a while? Um, the one thing I will say, and like I said, I do watch the local news. Uh, I, I don't go too deep into the political rabbit hole, but I will say there's a politician here in New York that I never really cared for, um, but because I'm not uh, beholden to any party, I will say it does look like, uh, Governor Cuomo really has stepped up and is doing the right thing by everybody here in New York. Um, it's not up for debate for me because I don't, I don't care if you agree with me or not. Uh, and honestly, I don't know that much, but on the surface, that's, that's what it seems like. It seems like uh, he's really stepping up and doing what needs to be done. So, um, Other than that, I will just say um, I hope you enjoy the episode that's coming up. I interviewed a a gentleman named Jason Strudwick. Uh, Struds was drafted by the Islanders, and it's someone that I have kept in touch with um, throughout his career. As is probably the norm, kind of lost contact a little bit, but thanks to social media, we were able to reconnect. And I reached out to uh, Jason uh, after he appeared on the Rod Peterson show, uh, and before I interviewed Jamie Rivers as they were ex-teammates and uh, as, as I have found most people love struds and most people love ribs and uh, they love each other and uh, the mutual ribbing that they give each other was fantastic and it really uh, added to both episodes so uh, I hope you like the episode with struds um, just want to let you know uh, you know I'm small potatoes I'm not uh, I'm not a big deal I'm I uh, you know, I'm just me, and there are other people out there doing similar shows as myself uh, that I would definitely give a listen to. Um, unfortunately, right now, Fourth Line Voice is uh, in a hiatus, uh, I guess a technical hiatus. He's been having some issues with Apple, um, and I don't know what the status is of his show right now. I guess it's a no go. Um, but I have a feeling at some point we'll see him return. I, I think uh, he's, he's as passionate about it as anybody. And I think after a while, although I'm sure he'll deny it, I think The Itch will come back. And I think if he does take the time to upload his previous episodes, as he said, he probably will just because he owes it to his guests. Uh, I think The Itch will come back. And uh, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised to see Fourth Line Voice put out some future episodes, although I don't know how long it's going to take. But I hope he does. Uh, always a great listen. Um, five for Fighting, uh, Alec. Uh, he does an amazing job. He, he's putting out episodes now like a madman. Uh, he had uh, Kevin Kaminsky on, which I enjoyed. As uh, some of you know, Killer and I are very good friends, so I really enjoyed that. I always love uh, hearing Killer stories. And every time he does a show, uh, I see it seems like I hear a different story that I've never heard before. And I think I've heard them all, and yet here comes another one. So that was good. And uh, I just actually started listening to his uh, to Alex Pat Barton episode um, so Pat's, uh, Pat's a great guy, and I think uh, the episode's over four hours, so uh, that'll be a lot of content to digest. I really can't wait to uh, dive into it. Another show that, uh, and this guy definitely doesn't need my help, uh, an old friend of mine, Terry Ryan, uh, former Montreal Canadian. Uh, he's uh, an amazing friend. I've known him a very long time. Uh, he used to have, uh, be a part of a show called Third Man in, and now he has his own show called Tales with TR. And uh, I was a guest on his show. I think uh, it was two shows ago. Uh, his latest show, he has uh, an ex teammate, his good friend uh, Don McLean, and uh, I, that uh, Don is a great guest for Terry. Uh, but the episode's really worth listening to for like the first half hour, where Terry just goes mad. Uh, his, his monologue is amazing. Um, it's really something to listen to. Uh, but I was actually the episode prior to the Don McLean episode, so. Um, if you, uh, haven't gotten enough of me, uh, definitely check out Tales with TR. I want to say it's episode nine, but, uh, as is the norm, I didn't do my prep, but, uh, you'll know, uh, you'll know me. And, uh, I think it was a really good episode. He says he's going to have me back. And, uh, I, I think we still have a lot to talk about. So I hope so. And, uh, you know, I love Terry and, um, you know, give his show a listen uh other than that i think that's it for now i've ranted a little bit and um i think uh, you probably are sick of me and if you are i don't blame you uh here we go with jason strudwick ladies and gentlemen welcome back to coliseum chronicles the penalty box today it is my pleasure to bring on someone who i once said and i doubt he remembers it but i once told him that I wanted him to be the New York Islanders' answer to Ken Danico. I wanted him to be an Islander for life. Uh, I wanted him to uh, man the Islanders' blue line and rough people up and win a few Stanley Cups, but uh, I probably was the jinx to that. But it's so great to reconnect with uh, Jason Strudwick uh, from Edmonton right now. And, Jason, uh, thanks for joining me on the show. Yeah, it's good to reconnect with you, Joe. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Oh, pleasure. Pleasure is mine. So... Um, for those... Well, for those who don't know, the only people who know are you and I. Uh, I originally met Jason uh, at uh, Pitchers, which is uh, the bar in the Long Island Marriott across from the Coliseum. And uh, he had come over after a game, I believe you're with Roberto Luongo. And everybody wanted to talk to Roberto Luongo, except me. I was like, oh, man, that's Jason Strodek. I'm going to go <laughs> introduce myself. <laughs> so... Uh, While everybody went to Roberto, I went and introduced myself to you, and you probably wondered who this crazy person is that is telling me right now he wants me to be Ken Danico, but uh, that was my goal for you, was uh, for you to be a career Islander, play over 600 games with the Islanders. It didn't work out that way, but uh, honestly, uh, you had an amazing career, man. I'm really proud of the career that you had.
1: Yeah, you know, thanks a lot, and I I have um, a lot of vivid memories of my time at the Islanders. You know, most of my time with them... Uh, was in the minors, um, but you know what? I I think that it's you know I was a pretty naive hockey um, a hockey player if that makes sense not in terms of the world but in terms of the way the hockey world play uh, worked. I just loved to play like I, I just wanted to play. I want and I love competing. You know I don't know if I'd say I'm a really competitive guy, but I love competing. I liked having other guys have a bad shift or or make them have a bad period, um, and I, I really I really enjoyed that. So. You know, going to Long Island and I, I kind of knew the what they were, what it was all about, but until I actually arrived there and saw some of the passion of the fans, and like you say, I stayed at the Long Island Marriott there for, I think, two and a half months or three months to one year before I got traded. And I, I really got to know a lot of fans because that's a clearinghouse. You know, a lot of fans go there before the game, after the game, and I'm trying to get somewhere to eat. I know a car, so I'd have to eat there. <laughs> I think there was a bagel place across the street, Long, or was it New York Bagels or something? I, I'd go there. Yeah. Um, but you know, I have I have so many just really strong memories as a young you know, when I when I finally made it, I was twenty two and living at the Long Island Marriott and then going down to the I forget the mall and take a cab to the mall. Roosevelt Field. Roosevelt Field, yeah. Yep. I go there for lunch after practice. And I'd I beg someone to drop me off there and <laughs> then I would just hang out and then take a cab home and like I just do anything to kill time. So yeah, a lot of it's a lot of good memories of, of that short time with the Islanders. Well, that's great. We're going to get to the Islanders in a little bit, but
0: first, yeah. If I was in Edmonton when Jason Strudwick was five years old, six, seven years old, and you're on the pond, I'm assuming yeah. you are an Edmonton Oilers fan. Who are you? I was. Yeah, I was a huge. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I, I love Mark Messier. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, now, tell me about. Um, the Edmonton Legion and the Edmonton Pats and the—is uh, that the Alberta Midget Hockey League?
1: Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I grew up playing in Edmonton, and you know, if, if you ask me at, at eight or ten, or ask anyone, would would I was gonna be an NHLer? People have said no way. You know, I was—I I, just—I um, just played because my body's played right, and we hung out. And I, I, one of my best friends growing up was T.J. Woodward, and we played together for you know a lot of that time, and we were deep partners you know, and we were kind of slow, we weren't really great, but we had a lot of fun. And then, you know, my two cousins are the Myers, and they, they started taking hockey quite seriously. And I remember when I got to around Bantam, uh, or maybe end up PeeWee, I ran into, we, we got to, you know, we saw each other quite often, but these two guys were in shape and like training hard, I'm like, what is this? Like It was <laughs> like I found a whole new world. So, you know, I started running with my dog every morning, and uh, when I first started running, I wasn't in great shape. I could barely run for 15 minutes. Well, and I, I'd run every day. Like there was no training protocols then for a, a 13 or 14 year old. So I just ran every day for like an hour with my dog, my little schnauzer. We'd run, and you know that really made a difference. Because now all of a sudden I was I was able to keep up a higher level of play for longer because I was in better shape. But I also got quicker. You know, I got a little bit lighter. Then I started doing box jumps, push-ups. Running up hills, um, you know, eventually I had to leave my dog behind because I was in better shape than her, but you know, <laughs> we just started. I just started becoming a better athlete, you know? Um, and then I got, you know, I, towards where you're talking about a midget, I, you know, we were on a terrible team. Like, I think my last two years of uh, playing for the Pats, we maybe won 10 or 15 games, but I got to play a ton. Like, our team wasn't very good, so I got to play a ton. And at the same time, I was playing uh, basketball at my high school, and, uh, you know, I, was, I wouldn't say I was, I was a lot I played basketball the same way I played hockey. I was I love the physical play under the rim, and I like making people having bad days. Like I <laughs> I always think I got more pleasure out of making someone miss a shot or you know pushing them out of their comfort zone rather than scoring. That's just how I was built. So I think I became a lot more athletic playing basketball, hockey, the running, the training, and then it kind of all came together. That that last little bit of midget when uh, the Camus Blazers uh, saw me playing and and thought there was more than what I. I mean, my hope was. At best to go play for a University of Alberta here in Edmonton, the Golden Bears, which were a really good program. I would have dreamt when I was in grade 12 to play for them the next year. And that's where you caught the eye of Kamloops. So in 93-94,
0: just to ask you about a couple of teammates you had. Um, One guy who I've always been a big fan of, and I'm sure it's going to be no surprise to you, is Chris Murray. Um, Darcy Tucker, who I... Was always a fan of until that Islander series where he kind of irritated <laughs> me. But that's him doing his job. Uh, yeah. Shane Doan and
1: uh, a guy named Jerome McGinley who had a pretty good career. Yeah, we were, you know, it was amazing. My first year in Cana I went there as an 18-year-old. Uh, another guy, Jason Holland, by there. he went as a 17-year-old. Then as a 16-year-old, Jerome McGinley went in. And so all three of us went in. And, um, you know, we really became big parts of that, that team's championship uh, that year and then the next year. Um, But I'll start with Chris Murray. I mean, Murray, he fought, he wasn't the biggest guy, but he fought everyone and anyone. And, you know, he really, I I wasn't a real fighter. I didn't really know anything about fighting when I got to junior. And he spent a lot of time with me, kind of building me up. Uh, And we went to the Memorial Cup that year. He fought every game in the round robin. He fought tough guys. And, uh, you know, he fought for us all the time. And he he was our tough guy, and he did a really good job. Um, you know Shane Doan. Uh, he was 17 when I arrived there, and just a man-child. You know he was 215 pounds probably then, and just you know he could toss anyone around. So he was had a huge impact for us. Um, Darcy Tucker. He was you know one of our or he was our leading scorer. A uh, guy who he just he was so irritating. You know and he, he loved to <laughs> get and he but he was a real competitor. You know yeah. probably one of the most competitive players I ever played with. He would do anything to win, and that was pretty cool. Um, and then Jerome again, you know, Jerome and I are, and, and Jason All are all still really good friends. We see each other a couple times a year, and um, you know, the thing about Jerome that really blows me away is that he had so much natural talent, but more than anyone else, I think he realized how much work he had to put in to refine that. You know, I'll give you an example. When we were young, you know, when he was scoring, let's say, twenty goals or twenty three in the NHL, whatever it was. Um, he called myself and Holland to go practice him the summer. And, we are both like, what? Like, we were working out. Paulie and I were working out, you know, squatting, bench pressing. He's like, let's go work on our skills. So we went out there, and Inky was shooting pucks like crazy. And, and he was like, you guys, you got to work on your skills. So we kind of got started on that. I, I wish now I would have done more. Um, but, you know, whatever. You we we only know what you know. But, um, you know, he worked his way up to 50 goals. And he, after he got to 50, he kept working on that. And so he was, he was really he was an impressive. You know, as skilled as he was, he was even that much more of a hard worker. Well, that's good, and he's always been a
0: favorite of mine. I think anyone that yeah. is a fan of hockey, I mean, I don't know how you don't like a guy like Jerome McGinley, and on top of that, uh, I've never really had any personal dealings with him, but I've never heard anyone say a bad thing about him as far as a person. He's just He seems like a real prince of a guy, and he just seems like he treats people right and that there's no ego there. So uh, it's good to hear uh, about him. Um, so getting back to Chris Murray, I believe this playoff year, I think this was when he fought Steve McLaren, if I'm not mistaken, of North Bay. That was a, I mean, that was one of the best fights. Uh, I mean, probably of that season, and uh, maybe just a highlight for both of them because they're both very tough.
1: Oh, it, you know, Christopher, so when we went to the Montreal Cup, um, Chris Murray was my roommate, and we were in uh, Laval, I believe, Laval, Quebec. And um, he fought every 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 round robin game, and I, it was, I forgot really, it was. Forget the guy, maybe uh, that he fought uh, in in uh, from the French teams, but he fought everyone. Mm. And at night, he had he had bone chip floating around his hand. So his hand would swell oh. up. It looked like he had a balloon under his skin. It got wow. so big. So he'd look over and he would not even be upset, he'd be like, "Hey, Stradi, can you go grab me some uh, ice?" I'm like, "Yeah, no problem. I'll go get <laughs> the ice because you're fighting these guys on me." So I'd run down there and grab this ice, a bucket of ice, and he'd put his hand in it. And we'd just talk. We'd sit there, and there wasn't a lot of English TV, so he and I would talk, and he would talk about, you know, how he's doing and how he felt and all that stuff. And then, uh, you know, I'm like, what do you think? He's like, oh, I'll be good. The next morning, his hand is maybe half the size. Boom. We play again. he'd fight again. Like, he he was, he just, but he did it for, you know, he did it for um, for the team. And I think that's what people understand about fighting, is that, you know, you're not out there trying to win a championship title like you see in wrestling with the Macho Man, who is my favorite wrestler, by the way. But, he was doing it to, to protect his guys, so that I didn't have to do it, or you know, Jason Holland didn't have to do it, or Jared Dooling, and we could just play. I I know, like at eighteen, yeah, you know, I was middle, I was you know, middle aged for a junior career, but you know, I had involved, I had involved to the point where I was like capable of fighting those guys, but I was a big part of our team, like I was our second comparing defenseman, and a, and a kind of like a shutdown guy, so I couldn't be fighting. So he did it, so I didn't have to. Yeah,
2: um,
1: you know, as I got older, I was able to handle those types of guys, but. You know, at that time I wasn't ready, and I always appreciate that about him, and the way that he handled himself because he he did he did such a good job. And that fight with Tomo with McLaren was epic. I remember yeah. sitting there like, "These, you got to be kidding me!" Like, I'll never fight like these guys, <laughs> uh, but they were amazing. And you know, McLaren, you know, he was a really tough guy. But Chris Murray, he he, that long hair he had, he he was amazing. And now he's actually. An assistant skill coach with the Cowboys Blazers, if you can believe it. That's awesome. And I've heard he's doing amazing work. Amazing work with uh, young kids in Cowboys.
0: That's great. So, although you were still learning how to fight at this point, am I correct in saying your first Western League fight was against somebody called uh, Rocky Thompson?
1: Yeah. What a what a b- bad decision that was. <laughs> um, you know, like I, you know, I hadn't really. I, I don't. I think it was like November, maybe that happened, and I hadn't really fought. And when I, you know, when I was in in, in midget, I was, I got, I got pretty decent points, like not great, but like, you know, point a game, but that's not that good for a midget guy who went on to play NHL. But anyways, so when I arrived in junior, I wasn't sure what I I had to be and, uh, or how to have success. I remember Don Hay brought me in. He's like, if you want to play in the Western League for me, you've got to be aggressive. And he didn't say you had, and I remember saying, I don't want to fight. He's like, I don't care if you fight or not, but you have to be aggressive. And so around that time, just before Christmas, I think around the time I had Rocky, I was like, you know what, he, he's right. I gotta be. So I started getting a little swagger, being a little more physical, and kind of being a prick. And um, we were playing against the Madison Hat and Tyson Nash, who uh, went on to have an NHL career, was as irritating as Darcy Tucker, maybe yep. more. Oh yeah. And um, he he said something to Rocky. Rocky chased him around. I'm like, well. Now the time, and, I, and then I dropped the gloves with Rocky. And Rocky, I thought he had three arms. Like, I, I, <laughs> his two arms tied up. He hit me so many times. Luckily, I had visors; otherwise, <laughs> my face would be like I look like uh, someone off the Goonies. <laughs> he was really amazing, and, and he was such a good fighter. Rocky, undersized for the guys he fought, and I never fought him again. Um, you know, I don't think we really played against each other again after that much, in, except in junior but yeah he was undersized but he was a smart fighter like sometimes you look back now i look back and think my god like how did i not die in some of these fighting guys and rocky is in the top five of those bad choices
0: <laughs> now well i'm sure i'm sure rocky is on a lot of people's list of top five bad yeah. choices so
1: yeah. so you're not yeah. alone
0: so uh that was your first year in the western league and you go all the way and you win the memorial cup so for someone that um grows up in canada um at your age for that age that's the ultimate so what's that feeling like you know just and it's your first year it's not that it's your third year yeah. in the west your first year you go right in and you guys win the memorial cup what's that feeling like
1: well two years earlier the council blazers won the tournament and my, my cousin scott Niedermeyer who you know had a, a probably above average nhl career yeah, uh, probably yeah yeah you, you know i don't know if he's that good he was okay <laughs> you know um, but you know I'd watched him in Seattle win that championship you know now I, at the time I didn't even dream that I'd be playing the Western League much less an important part of a, of a Western League or a Memorial Cup champion so here I am two years later playing the Memorial Cup and I won it and it was really surreal like I didn't really know what was going Like it, you know I just again I just loved to play it I just wanted to compete and, and make other people have bad days and um, you know we won and I was really happy like I was so joyful that we won, and um, I, I remember I bought my mom and dad's Birkenstocks. There was a sale on it around the, this Laval Mall, so I bought all the Birkenstocks. I know we were gonna make like $200 in bonus money in junior, <laughs> so I spent it on Birkenstocks for my family. Like I was a big wheel. Um so you know I, I wanted. I, I remember being really happy, but like it wasn't. Um, you know, I, you always hear guys talk about championships, like. Winning the championship is just based on how much work you've put in. Yeah. So after you win, it's almost like, yeah, okay, it was supposed to happen that way, right? And I kind of looked at it a little bit like that way. Like, I put a lot of work in that season to to be a better player for all the team to be improved. And we improved every game. We weren't even supposed to be in the, in the in, in that picture. It was supposed to be Portland, uh, Winterhawks. And we made it. So I, I would say it was a big, you know, it was, it was a huge effort. And we got it after I was happy. But, you know, I remember thinking we got to win it the next year because we're defending it in Kamloops. Now, um, that year, even though it was your first year uh,
0: Western League, you were draft eligible, uh, you ended up being drafted by the Islanders in the third round. So a few questions. Had you spoken to them before the draft, and were there any other teams that maybe had given you the impression that they were going to take you if you were still there?
1: Well, uh, you know, it's funny. We, the, the guy, Jared Dooling, was our captain. And uh, Jared Dooling, he was also drafted by the Islanders. I think he was a third rounder, actually. And I remember just before the draft, he called me said, Stradi, I hope it works out well for you, and just pray you get drafted by anyone but the New York Islanders. And I'm like, I said, yeah, no problem, man. Like, you know what, There's they hadn't even talked to me. I didn't think they even knew who I was. And um, so when I got the call that morning, I was drafted by the Islanders, I'm like, oh, my God, the first thing I thought was Jared Doom said I'm like, oh, my God. And he called me, he's like, oh, it won't be that bad. I'm like, why? What's the wrong with You know, And but whatever, like, you know, I, I got drafted in um, – You know, it was a lot different than it is now. There was no big production or anything, you know, like I got the phone call and said I was drafted and my mom, dad, we went to eat at like this restaurant and empty with my sister for lunch and had a couple milkshakes and that was it. And, um, you know, before that time, I had, I just started a job for like two, three weeks cleaning carpets was my job. And so after I got drafted, I quit and I said, I got to get serious about working out. I think I started cutting lawns in the afternoon. And you um, make—I should make pretty good money uh, cleaning you know, carpets. You'd be surprised at Edmonton. A lot of a lot of dirty rugs up here. <laughs> so we, um, you know, so I started working out harder and, and kind of getting ready for the next year. Because I'm like, you know, what if if someone thinks I'm worth a third round pick? Like I, I got to really put the time in here to try to become what I or you know, max out of my potential. So you're part of something that I don't ever remember seeing, and,
0: and I would imagine it would have been brought up to you if if, if it had happened prior you were picked in the third round before you in the second round was your teammate jason holland and after you in the fourth round was your teammate from camu's brad luke i don't know if that had ever happened before where a team had picked three teammates in three consecutive rounds
1: yeah you know what i i personally i loved it because like i was again i i I was now you know i could have been drafted the year before so i was drafted the second year of my draft eligibility And then now I'm going to my first camp when I was 19, except that there was a lockout that year, so we didn't go to camp. So then at 20, I'm going to my first NHL camp, but luckily I had two of my good friends there in, um, you know, in Luker and and Holly. And then a guy we played against a lot, Brian McCabe. So four D-men all around the same age from the Western League. And I think, like, what, what they were trying to do made a lot of sense, you know? Like, they were getting three kids off a winning team, defensemen, all a little different, you know? Um, Luca and Holly were more more um, gifted offensively for sure um, you know I was probably you know the more consistently physical of the three of them Yeah. Uh, but there was, there was something for everybody in that group so and they had Brian McCabe so you know in theory you know it could have maybe worked out differently if if um, there's everybody to handled differently but whatever it's you know but it, in theory it made a lot of sense what they were trying to do and I, like I said very selfishly I was really happy I had two of my best buddies I just competed with for almost two full seasons, uh, well, two full years uh, in the Western League going to the same camp as me. So you mentioned about the lockout.
0: Now, was there any, uh, had you uh, did you come to Long Island for a visit at all after the draft or you hadn't been here yet uh, because uh, because then the lockout happened? Had you
1: come at all? Yeah, right after the draft, they had us down. Okay, um, We went to the draft and, or so we went to Long Island. I'd never been to New York. Mm-hmm. and um, I remember thinking, this is crazy. Like, <laughs> I, I, they took us in, uh, you know, we did all a bunch of stuff in Long Island and they took us in for a night along into New York City and I remember I just, my my job was probably just scraping off the ground the whole time. <laughs> and to think, like, they drove us by the guard and said, you know, one day we'll be playing against the Rangers here. I'm like, oh my God, like, this is crazy. Like, I can't believe this is actually gonna happen. And, um, you know, that to me was a real, I, I like, the, you know, before maybe like, okay, why are they doing this? But to get the experience, get to know your peers, but then also like for them to give you a taste of what it's like, like it was really smart. So now you know teams do it all the time, and I, I, I think it's fantastic. So uh, the
0: following season, when you after you get back from Long Island, you get ready for Cam uh, Loop season, and there's you uh, you had um, Darcy return, Shane Doan returned again. Lazare. there, I guess uh, Murray probably went and played with uh, Fredericton, uh, yeah. with the, uh, Montreal. Um, there was a guy who played one game for Kamloops, and I'm, you're going to be surprised when I ask you. And the reason why I'm asking is because I met him years later in Las Vegas when he played with my friend Dean Ewan. I don't know, do you remember one game from Andre Shrubko in Kamloops? Yeah. yeah. The Russian I, Bear?
1: Yeah, he came, uh, I think he was just there for the beginning of the year. Yeah. And, um, you know, Andre was a really nice guy, yeah. but he didn't quite – I don't think it quite worked out the way that he wanted yeah, you know on the team maybe it envisioned it going uh but yeah it's funny like that's I haven't heard that name probably since the day he left Camden. so yeah. it's been a long time <laughs> uh
0: I mean he was just uh, you know I met him he was a really really nice kid obviously quiet yeah. you know with the language but by the time he had played and that was um 1999 I think when I had met him so you know it was five five or so years later uh, he was he uh, acclimated pretty well, and he was uh, he fit yeah. right in. They had a pretty uh, crazy team in Vegas at the time, a lot of tough players. So he was just one of those guys, and just a nice guy. And when I was doing the research for this, I'm like, holy shit, Serbko yeah. played one game. Yeah. I have to ask you about Andre. Yeah. So I'm glad you at least remember him. Uh, one one guy that you fought this year, who. Um, I think is, he's under the radar, tough. I mean, not for you guys back then when you played against him, because I'm sure you knew how tough he was. But I think a lot of people don't realize it because he never made the NHL. He did play in the American League. But Paul Farone was pretty tough, and he wasn't very big. But, man, how tough was that guy?
1: So his nickname was the Mad Dog. Yeah. And um, I, I remember specifically the night that we fought, and I talk about it all the time. Because when I played in Vancouver, actually, we went in the summer at this place called The Rocks, and You may have heard of it, and we ran into each other there. So the Mad Dog, um, you know, he wasn't a very big guy, but he played big, and yeah. he was mean and fearless. And I remember we were beating Seattle pretty handily, and he was running around hearing bikes. So, you know, our, our coach is like, someone's got to go step up for him, stand up to him. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like I'm like the top one of the top-pairing defensemen on this team. Like, why do I have to go over there? So I went over there, and he gave me a pretty good, like, I wouldn't say he beat me, but he gave me a good a good bout. And I was so mad after that. I am like, why do I have to fight this guy, you know? And then I realized, like, hey, that's your job. You know, like, you're a big, physical guy. Sometimes you're going to have to stand up to other teams' big, physical guys. But, you know, I love the Mad Dog, and I ended up playing against him a bit in the minors, and then, like I said, I ran to him in the summers in Vancouver, but, yeah, the Mad Dog, like, he is one of the, just a tough, Human being, like you've ever seen the Godfather, he could literally just be dropped into this set of the Godfather, and he'd be like, "You'd he, be like, oh yeah, he fits the Mad <laughs> Dog.
2: in there."
1: Yeah, well, he's Italian,
0: so we know that most yeah. Italians are tough. So, I mean, I'm not surprised, <laughs> you know. <So. laughs> sure are. Um, One guy that you mentioned that you played with on the island, uh, but before that, you fought him in the playoffs was Brian McCabe.
2: Yeah,
0: how'd that go? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It was a good fight, you know. Like it, it was, um, you know, we were both. Um, you know, obviously he was a more more skilled player than me, but both competitive, right? And it was in the I don't think it was a Memorial Cup we fought, or it was in the um, in the in the in the in the playoffs, with just where he played against Brandon, because he got traded to Brandon. Yeah. But Cambridge was a really good D and junior, and he had he had a good NHL career, really good NHL career. Uh, big shot and smart and competitive, and the old can opener. You guys mm-hmm. have all seen that. right yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, I you know he um, you know. I really I like playing against Kaeper because I knew he was going to be a bat. Like, he was going to compete, right? And I think that, you know, when, it, when we played on the same team, I, I always wanted guys that would compete. And compete to, doesn't always mean fighting, but it means, like, competing to get to the puck first, trying to win a faceoff, get the puck out, um, hurrying off the bench. Like, those are all attributes that I look for. We had that on those teams in junior. Like, they, everyone was competitive. Because if you didn't, you stuck out like a sore thumb, and they'd get rid of you, or you wouldn't play. It was yeah. pretty simple. So that's what I, I liked about Caber and um, you know the fight, you know, was pretty one-sided. I'm not going to lie, but Caber might have seen it a different way. But uh, <laughs> you know, it was it was a pretty it was it was a good a uh, good rival we had, and I always appreciated playing and watching him play and having a good career. So, is it tougher to win the Memorial Cup or tougher to defend the Memorial Cup? Uh, we felt a lot of pressure. You know, like we we the year before, no one thought we'd do anything, and then all of a sudden we run the run the table, and we didn't lose a game in the Memorial Cup now the next year it's in our backyard and um you know i remember thinking there was a lot of pressure but don hey did a great job and we had good leadership we had you know veteran guys who'd been around um you know looking back now we have we'd had so many guys play nhl games like we were i think we were one of the best junior hockey teams ever put together and um, we, we were ready we were ready to defend it and we we really did a good job we made a couple trades add more good management good coaching good like everything and um you know in the end we got it done and um, then we actually destroyed Brian Burrard's team in the final, which I, I loved when I played with him. I'd always give it to him. About that. <laughs> and he, he claims he had a, a knee injury or something, but yeah, you know, it didn't. Knee injury or not, you're still going to lose A1, big that guy. <laughs> That's tremendous. Now, your second year your second year
0: of playing uh, major junior hockey, two Memorial Cups, do you ever sit back and think, boy, this hockey stuff
1: is pretty easy? <laughs> yeah, I wish I would have saved some of that winning for when I got to the NHL. Um, <laughs> But you know what I, um, you know I, I was I was really lucky like timing and um, just going to the right place and like I was you know I t- talked to a little bit earlier like I was physically ready to absorb really good coaching and to be against good people you know to play against really good competition um, like you know if you looked at me from the first half of my first year to the second half of my second year I was a completely different player yeah um, but you know I physically I was ready emotionally I was ready. And to just go somewhere where the coach sees exactly how you have to play and he gives you that role uh, and the team needed that guy you know a guy like me in that spot i was so lucky so you know luck meets preparation i guess is what you want to say it but you know those are some of my best times ever in hockey and all those guys you know there's guys that are you know broadcasters coaches um well guys that just stopped playing we're all we're all still buddies we talk quite often so yeah it was it was an amazing amazing way and i think that those two years paved the way for the next whatever 17 years
0: that's great so um, <clears throat> now we get to the next season now you no, you have no more junior eligibility so you're you're turning pro and it's either going to yeah. be with the Islanders or you're going to be in the American League and now yeah. here's your first training camp with the Islanders um, and this would be your first on ice experiences with Mike Milbury correct uh, yeah. yeah now coming from Cam now just full disclosure um, I'm not a Mike Milbury fan um, yeah. I really, I'm not going to lie. When he when he came on, I had really high hopes. I, at the time, I thought he was exactly what the organization needed. Um, I just didn't know that he was petty and made everything personal and would just destroy the organization. So that doesn't mean that I. That's how I feel, and yeah. I've had a lot of guys on who are not Mike Milbury fans. Um, but I'm curious about what your experience with him was like.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I was really happy when he traded me. That's, that's pretty funny. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and you know what? I, I didn't know that I wanted to be traded at the time. I didn't ask for a trade. Like, I would never even dream about doing that. Yeah. But, you know, Mike, um, you know, I was, like I, I've said before, I was very naive at the time, but he, he had his way of doing things. And I'll give you an example. So, you know, then my first year there, whatever, I play in the minors, great, you know, I, it, it, I, it takes a while to get ready. And then the next year, um, yeah, I go in there and I train the camp again, better training camp, I go down the minors, and I, I thought I improved quite a bit. Now, this third year, I'm going in my training camp, and, uh, you know, I walk into the dressing room, and I could tell right away that I wasn't really on the radar, because I was, like, not in the main room, I was in another room, like, behind the garbage can or something, so, whatever, right, like, it wasn't great. Uh, so after, like, three, four days of training camp, like, I'm not getting a lot of attention or love, and that's fine, but I felt I was ready to make a, a good push. So about, um, let's say, three, four, five days, when it doesn't matter. At some point, of right early in training camp, uh, they used to have these things called rookie games. And that was generally reserved for guys who were just drafted 20, 21-year-old type guys, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the assistant general manager, I don't remember who the name, but the guy comes up to me and says, Strutty... Um, you know, we'd we, we like you to play in the rookie game. And I'm like, rookie game? I'm, I'm 22 years old, I'm gonna go into my third year pro. And so, I, but I think, you know, here's an opportunity for me to show what I can do. So I go, go into the, uh, our dressing room that night, because it's, you know, they play double headers, right? Yeah. It'd be mm-hmm. like, the rookie's at four, the pro's at seven, whatever. Yeah. So I, we went to this dressing room, we are playing the Rangers, I won't forget that, and our room was young and we were small. I look over at the Rangers lineup, it was something out of like the WWF, like it was crazy. So I'm like, all right, so be it. I know I'm here. Let's do it. So I had three fights in the first two periods. And I and I, I, don't remember if I was kicked out or I kicked myself out, but I was <laughs> done. Like, I did what I needed to do. So I get back into the dressing room, and I'm icing down my hands, and in walks the the general the assistant general manager, whoever, maybe it was a trainer or whatever, says, Strutty, Mike Milbray wants to see you. I'm like, oh, great. So, like, geez, I've got some, you know, maybe I made a dent and is in, in this inability to, to, to even get on people's radar for this camp. So I get changed quick and I run into his, his office and I, my ass barely touches the um You're getting sent down. Uh, you're, you're never going to play in the NHL. Um, you know you can ask for a trade, but no one's going to want to trade for you. Um, you know my, my advice is for you to enjoy this year, party like crazy, and then next year you either get into coaching or go back and use your money to go to school. Uh, me his his ticket is like okay good luck and I, I I won't lie I was pissed. I just fought three times for him out there knowing it didn't matter what I did. I could have scored a hat trick, fought three times, and then, you know, cured the world of cancer. I still was getting down. And so I was so pissed. I remember I called my agent, and he didn't answer, you know, whatever. I just gave it to him. I was so mad. Not at him, but just, just venting. Yeah. And I yelled at, uh, I called my parents, and I was mad at them. And, you know, I, now as a dad, I understand how hard that would have been. <laughs> you know, I should probably apologize to him. Um, but, you know, my parents, they were just like, uh, just do what you got to do. So um, I get on, you know, that night I did go out and have a few beers, probably at Pitchers. Yeah. And then I got on the okay. plane to Kentucky. And uh, I remember on that plane ride, I was like, okay, like uh, a bit of a come to jesus moment. moment. Well, I have two choices. I go down to minors, and I, I just do what he talked about, party like crazy and just say I'm done, or go down there and work on my game. Because I really thought I was close. And Dougie Huda, who was been a really good coach for a long time, uh, he was a player then. He said, Struddy, you're so close. Don't give up, man. And I, I always thought that was amazing because... I was going to take his job, you yeah. know, which is crazy. So anyway, so I go down the minors and as luck would have it, uh, Victor Tikhonov's son became our assistant coach, Vasily Tikhonov. Nice. So within two days of being there, he pulls me over and he's really heavy accent. He's like, Strutty, he goes, you are really close to being an NHL player, but you have to work on these things. If you will come on the ice with me every day, 15 to 20 minutes before, I promise I'll be out here and we'll make you a better player. I said, I'm in. So he showed me what to do on the ice, off the ice stuff I wasn't doing already, and um, I, I did it all. I did that right up till Christmas, and right after Christmas I got called up. Shara and I got called up, and I never got sent down again uh, from from the NHL. Well, actually, I should. I, I did go for the playoffs, but that's a different. Yeah. Whether than not I was in the NHL the whole time, and uh, I credit, um, in a weird way, I credit Mike Milbury for for really motivating me, and I credit Vasily Tikhonov. He his impact on my career was like, it was, I, I can't measure it. Uh, no one had a bigger impact in, those, in let's call it four months more than recently. i had in my career. Wow. That is amazing.
0: Wow. Um, not, not surprising, but it's an amazing, you know, to hear the, to hear firsthand from, you know, basically everyone that I've had on the show so far to just hear their different interactions with Mike Milbury. Yeah. If you have time, I would definitely go back. Uh, Mick Vakoda told me some pretty uh, pretty good stories uh, sure. for, for, with Mike. And it just it blows my mind that uh, this guy was in charge. Forget about in charge of veteran players. Because veteran yeah. players, you know, you, you have a certain amount of time. You, you get into yeah. your own routine everything. But the fact that this is a guy, especially the team, guys like yourself and McCabe and Bertuzzi yeah. and Chara and Luongo, just uh, what could have really been a solid core for a decade and he just t- tore it to shreds, but uh, you know, I think he took the high road there. You don't have to make anything up; you just have to tell the truth. That's what Vakota said. He said, "I don't want to badmouth the guy. I'll just tell you
1: the truth. I'll tell you some stories." So, yeah, um, well, You know what's funny is that he like he, he didn't treat me bad. I mean, like to be honest, after I got called back up, mm-hmm. after about two months of me being up there, um, I'll never forget when. You're, and I was kind of even on the lineup, you know. We had Rick Bones as the coach, and Bones treated me really well. Like he was just honest to how "You have to play." So we're in Tampa Bay, and I'm not playing this night in Tampa Bay, you know, whatever. And Mike brings me out onto the bench you know, after the morning and He goes, you know, I want to apologize. Like, you know, I, I realized I made a mistake with you, and I'm glad that you proved me wrong. Like, I see you as a guy gonna be on this team for a long time. We can see you being a lead on this team. You know, we want to sign you to a contract extension. All this positive stuff. I'm like, God, I can't believe it. So now I call my agent and my, co- my parents. It was a much different conversation, right? Like, yeah. it was just amazing. And then about three weeks later, you just changed me to Vancouver for <laughs> Gino Ojick. <Oging. laughs> He's unbelievable. You know what I was just like, you know what, like and I'm thankful. Like going to Vancouver is the best thing that could happen to me. I got closer to home. I love Vancouver. All that was great. But like it's just oh. it's just like a roller coaster. So, you know, you know, did he handle it right or wrong? Well, maybe he thought he was making a good decision. Gino was, you know, he had an impact on games for sure, but like, you know, for me personally it turned out probably better than it could have been
0: any other way so I,
1: I have got nothing but good things to say about him. okay um so let's go to probably someone who most
0: people would view as a total 180 from mike milbury and that's jimmy roberts uh yeah you had jimmy roberts is a coach in worcester yeah uh, you played one year there um you played 60 games you had 119 penalty minutes uh and everybody that i ask about jimmy roberts has nothing but good things to say about him what, what was it like playing for jimmy down there in worcester
1: uh, he was old school and he you know he was amazing. I, I learned a lot from Jimmy over that year just about being a pro. You know, I remember him. one of the first interactions I had was a meeting with him and he brought me in and he was like, you know, do you, do you wanna play in the NHL? I'm like, Yeah, Jimmy, I'll do Yeah, of course. He's like, Well, what are you prepared to do? I'm like, Well, I give him all the answers. I'll work hard, I'll listen. He's like, Don't give me that shit. He's like you gotta learn how to fight. I'm like, What? He's like, I yeah, gotta learn how to fight. So I, I, it's not exactly the answer I was looking for. I was hoping maybe, like, run the power play or something <laughs> like that. But, you know, he wanted me to play assertive, aggressive, and if people pushed me around or my team would step in there. Um, you know, and, and I figured it out. You know, that year, I think, in the minors, I think I had 22 or 23 fights, that I'd be lucky to say I got a tie. Like, I got beat all the time. And now, like, I didn't get destroyed, like, knocked out in one punch, but, like, I just took my lumps. Yeah. And because you know fighting junior kids is one fighting a 16 year old Rocky Thompson is a big difference than fighting a 26 year old Rocky Thompson. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I I learned a ton that year about fighting, uh, but I also learned about being a pro and like you know everything about training and you how how hard it can be. You know three and three nights. You know the the average human doesn't understand what three and three nights is like. It's a it's a goddamn nightmare. Like you play Friday night you might fight once. You play Saturday night, you might fight another time, and then by Sunday your hands are so sore you can't even get them in your gloves. Plus, you have no legs left because you've traveled to three different cities in two days um, and you're playing an afternoon game on Sunday to boot. So, yeah. you know, you learn to suck it up, but coaches are watching and teams are watching how you respond to that, right? So, um, you know, Jimmy was J- Jimmy was really, unfortunately, passed, but I, yeah. I mean, Jimmy was a great great human. So two of the guys that may, maybe helped with your schooling
0: that year uh, were also parts of the Islander organization, um, and they were little guys, Ken Belanger and Eric Cairns. Uh, yeah. You fought both of those guys. Uh,
1: do you remember those fights? Yeah, I, 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 those are two bad decisions as well. <laughs> uh, you know, like Eric Cairns, I'll never forget it because um, I like to be off the ice last in our in our building in Worcester, or off the ice for warm-up. And uh, Eric Cairns, he was also the last guy. Him and this guy, Ryan Bandebush, who also was really tough. Yeah. So as they are skating off the ice, they had to come out of our, into, you know, they go off in our zone where we warmed up. And Cairns shoots a puck in the net. And I just snap And... I go and get the puck out of the net, and I shoot a slap shot as hard as I can at him as he's walking off the ice, and it hits him in the back of the leg. Oh. And the second it goes off my stick, I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> so he turns down, and he's like, I'm going to, like, he just snaps on me. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> so I, uh, Jason Wimber is on the ice with me, a guy who played Bounders for a while, and I'm skating off the ice. He's like, what did you do? I'm like, I don't know, I, I just snapped. And he's like, why would you do that? I'm like, I don't know why. He's like, don't worry, it'll be fine. Like, you're defenseman, he's a defenseman, you're not going to run into each other. I barely get into the dressing room, Jimmy Roberts walking, he's like, Strutty, one of our forwards is sick, you're playing left wing with Craig Darby. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> so I started, I'm like, oh my God, and, and Winvers looking at me, he's like, you're going to get killed, I'm like, I know. So Eric Aaron's like, the, you know, we were skating up for him, he's like, I'm going to kill you tonight, I'm going to kill you. I'm like, come and get it, come and get it, but I was so scared, and he absolutely, he, we, we fought, it took a little while, but we fought. And uh, he hammered me, in the, thank God I had a helmet on, He hit my helmet so many times. And then he was like, we're going to fight again. I'm going to murder you. I'm like, oh, my God. And so he was again in the box. I'm like, oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to die tonight. And he looks over me, and when he kind of calms down, he's like, Strudwick, bad news. I cut my hand. I can't fight him." I'm like, all right, good to know. You know, what I, mean? I was like, thank God. I'm so thankful. So I got to play the rest of the game. I think I even got a point that night. I was so thankful that I didn't have to fight him twice. And then Kenny Belanger, like, he was just, I knew we were going to fight. You just know what's coming. Kenny was trying to send him out, and he was a big left team. He got me a couple of really good last, But I hung in there. Um, but again, like I didn't really know how to fight yet. So you're fighting these monsters who have been fighting like that for three or four years. And I'm just starting my fighting you know, tutelage. And unfortunately, I'm learning from guys that are way better than me and older. So yeah, it didn't, it did, they didn't go very well. But uh, you know, I, I live to tell the tale. So I guess it's a positive. Wow.
0: I'm going to ask you about a guy, one of your teammates. I think you were waiting for this. How many fights do you think you had that year that were because of uh, Jamie Rivers?
1: Oh, God, that guy. You know, I don't <laughs> know if it's because he's annoying or he was ugly, but I'll tell you what, like, that guy, he... <laughs> Rivers taught me a lot about the stuff off the ice, I'm not going to lie. Like, that guy liked to party, he liked to have a good time, and between him and Derek Armstrong, I learned a lot about uh, dancing, uh, shooters, and, uh, you know, how to recover from hangovers. They, they were amazing guys, and... Um, you know, I talked, I text with Riz all the time. Our, his kids are quite a bit older than mine, but we're always talking about mm-hmm. hockey and how to coach hockey and do stuff. And, um, I have a lot of time for that guy cause he was just a, he, he was so good, but so different. Like he had the fancy haircut and he wore gold chains like Mr. T <laughs> and like, I was still in my, like my, my, uh, Alberta tuxedo, right? Like all blue jeans. Like yeah. <laughs> I just was such a heck. and, but we've, we got along really well, you know? And, and um, yeah, I, 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 really like Ribs and you know, I, I don't remember getting a lot of fights over because of him. Like, I think that, you know, I was, he, um, but he was annoying. Like, he, and he could hit pretty well. For a little guy, he was a good hitter. Like, I think he was underrated as a player, actually. And, and um, I often wonder, like, guys like him, if he came into the league now, what his career would look like with just the different rules and, and, and such. Yeah. Well, um, for those of you who
0: listened to the Jamie Rivers episode, uh, you heard that I uh, had a couple of entries from Strud. So I felt it was good to return the favor here. Yeah. So while we're on the Worcester season, uh, Jamie did give me a few things he wanted to ask you. Okay, are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. All right. He said, ask him if the little person working in the dressing room in St. John's, Newfoundland, shoots the puck harder than him. He will understand. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: So, so we were playing there, and uh, I didn't get the puck. I hadn't been getting the puck deep when I, you know, when you're sitting up the ice to get it deep on a, on a, you know, dump in. And so, at the end of this period, I didn't get the puck deep in St. John's. And um, there was a, a small person in the dressing room that worked there. He was like the, the the visitors' team locker room attendant. So, um, so I, I'm in there like and after the period. Jim Rob's is losing his mind. So he comes in here and he's, he's yelling at everybody. He's like, "And Stradwick, this midget can shoot the puck harder than you can." And this guy just looks over like, what did I, what did I do? What did I do? <laughs> the whole room just explodes. And uh, and Jimmy's like, get your head in it, I'm just give it. And I'm like, I'm laughing, but it's 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 so weird. And this <laughs> poor guy, I felt so bad for him. But he, after the game, he actually was laughing about it. I was like, okay, that was pretty funny. But like, that was Jimmy, right? Like, yeah. he just knew what he was going to say. All right. Second, um, Strud's is a big guy. Ask him if he's ever missed Missed a leg day, or ever mixed in a leg day. I know I get a lot of heat for that. Like I do have long legs, so they're not as thick as uh, you know his little pins. Um, and that was the one thing when I was in Worcester. Actually, Donald the Frame uh, came down, yeah, from St. Louis, and he kind of taught me about you know training and how to how to do. It. Like I I was I, I tried hard. Like I was always in the gym working out, but maybe not working out the smartest. So he when he was there, I think he was there for like I don't know 20 games, maybe something like that. He, he gave me a lot of time on how to train properly right and to make my legs stronger and so i credit him with that ribs wasn't helping me with that that ribs had a bad body he has the worst body now <laughs> okay um how did you get the name night train um well the next year i went to kentucky and um you know i didn't miss one game or one party and so <laughs> About about two thirds of the way season, I don't know if there's a trainer or someone's like, you know what, you're like the night train, like you never miss anything. I'm like, yeah, you're right, because that that next year, like I I was playing a ton, and uh, you know, any time when I was even going out for a beer, I was going with him, and uh, you know, it was it was fun. I enjoy like I enjoyed. It. I was single, I had nothing else going on, so I'm like young, I could sleep in the days, so we had a lot of fun. So I got that name and then just kind of stuck with me. You know, it's a little bit like Obi Wan Kenobi, right? You he doesn't hear. I don't hear it a lot anymore. But uh, when I do, it kind of makes me laugh because I, I was a pretty fun guy in uh, in those <laughs> early years. <laughs> uh, finally, he says,
0: ask him if you and uh, Jamie ever had a bet about who would drop the gloves first one weekend. And Jamie actually won that bet by fighting Sean
1: McAusland in Portland. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I do. Like, that guy... <laughs> I wouldn't call that a fight. I think that was like a <laughs> hug fest. That's the way he handled his grandma hugging her. Yeah, you know what? This was funny. Like, he was a cocky little guy, and he just he, he would do things. He would say things. You're like, what? And then, and and in some ways, I needed that. Like, you know, every, you take a little bit from everyone you meet, right? You know, you, you, yeah. it doesn't matter whether they're hockey players, coaches, girlfriend, or wife, or whatever, right? Friend, you know, whatever it is, you, you just take a little bit from everybody, the good and the bad. And he kind of gave me a little bit of. Um, um, like he he just kind of told me it's okay to be cocky, like it's okay to to not maybe, you know, not wear gold chains, cocky, but like just to be <laughs> like a little bit arrogant and have a little bit of a swagger, right? And I did, I you know, I, I was very confident in who I was, and like I wasn't you know I wasn't getting bullied at sand kicked in my face, but just when you walk into a room to be like you know what like I I here I am like I can play with this group, and you know Riz was really he actually had a big impact for me. I don't know if I ever told him that, but that that. That part element that I didn't have, he definitely had, and that's a compliment. And yeah. uh, I think that took him that took him where it, it, it took him um, for good reason. And then I think it really helped me kind of have that same kind of like a little bit of like I'm a little bit better than you swagger. that I think you have to have a uh, enough if you're going to be an HL player. No, he is. Uh, I mean, he is a piece of
0: work. The um, his yeah. Twitter uh, comment a commentary between him and Kimby. And Jim McKenzie, okay. it's priceless. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. is. I'll be sitting there, Andrea, and I'll be watching TV, and I'll be on the sofa, and I'll just check my phone, and I'll see something he did with Kimby with the buffalo head, and I'll just start laughing, yeah. and you know, and I'll she'll be like, "What's so funny?" I'd be like, "Oh, ribs did another uh, Photoshop job," and it's just he's just such a character. But I, I, I got to ask you the story that you told me about him about. Uh, Making him come along with you to that girl's house, uh, the Christmas. Yeah. What yeah. Do, do you mind telling me that story?
1: Yeah, no. So, <laughs> I, when I was, I met a girl, and um, yeah, I was saying I was twenty. Is you know, you meet girls, and she went to school there, and she was really nice, like a really nice girl. And so, she invited me to go to Thanksgiving dinner at her house um, with her family. Now, I didn't really want to go by myself, so she knew riffs, so she's like, "Why don't you bring Jamie?" I'm like, "Okay." So, I thought it was like. 30 minutes out of town, 20 minutes out of town. It ended up being an hour and a half drive, and we were really hungover. We went out the night before, and we were really hungover. And so the whole way there, he's, like, MFing me the whole way. And I'm like, do will be fine, i will be fine. So we get there, and, like, it's not just her family. It's, like, her aunts and uncles, like, grandma and grandpa. And it's, like, it's kind of like, meet the parents. Yeah. <laughs> Try to wheel and deal and talk to everyone and risk Riz pulls me over, and he's like, what are we doing here? Like, he was so mad. It was actually a little bit like that movie, uh, Wedding Crash. It was like, never leave a man behind, Riz. So we ended up staying there. We, you know, we had a couple of beers, and then uh, then we stopped. We had a drive home, and then we watched some football. Like, it was unbelievable. Now, I wish, you know, it didn't work out that I, I married her. You know, we, we, it was, we were pretty young. But it would have been hilarious, like if Riz would have, because he was so mad, and he had to drive, so, and he drove his car too. I, I was like, "Come on, buddy, just drive!" Like I'm pretty tired. So anyway, so it was good. It was. Uh, I still, when like, I talk about a good wingman, like that was the ultimate wingman job. Oh man, he. Uh, I'm not surprised. He,
0: he's a good guy. So, um, so that yeah. season, that season, uh, you also got called up for your first NHL game in Hartford, which I'm happy to say I was at. And uh, how did you find out about the call up?
1: Uh, well, we, we I think it was on a Saturday night that game, I think, so on the Friday night we were playing and before the game, Joe, Jimmy Roberts walks in and he says, this is in the AHL with Worcester, he says, just so you know, you're going up after the game, I'm like, well, why am I playing this game? What if I get hurt? He's like, you won't get hurt play the game, so I remember like, I didn't come close to anybody, I'm like, I don't I was made of glass that night, I'm like, I don't care what happens I'm not blocking shots, I'm not finding one, I'm going up so after the game, I drive up to Hartford, which is I think about an hour and a half drive, maybe from Worcester, maybe a little more and uh, I get there, and my roommate is like, "Ouch!" He's not even like recognizing that I'm there. Like it's my first NHL game. He, he doesn't even wake up. <laughs> so I sneak in the room and crawl in the bed, and I didn't sleep. I guarantee I didn't sleep. I was sweating like, you know, I didn't even I didn't sleep. The next morning he wakes up, and he's like, he was kind of grumpy. I don't know what his problem was, but um, you know, when I get down the rink and I see all my buddies like uh, Kaber and Bert and Fish and all these guys, so it was good. We you know we 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 got there and we played hard for that night and. You know, I was so excited, but I remember thinking, like, I have to do something. Because I might not ever get to the NHL again. I, I don't want to just have zeros. So, I'm like, I'm fighting someone. And as luck would have it, Kelly Chase is more than happy to, to beat up on a rookie. So, um, you know, the first time we dropped the gloves, it was kind of quick. And, you know, I, I thought it was good. And they come to the bench, like, two minutes each. I'm like, what? Are <laughs> you kidding me? I just fought Kelly Chase. This guy's a killer. And so, uh, in, in the box, Chase was like, we're fighting again. We're going to go. So, I'm looking up the clock, and it's ticking down. It's like a time bomb, right? I'm like, oh, my God. So the, 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 we open the doors, and we go out, and we fight again. This time it was a pretty good little fight. And, um, and that was it. I, after the fight, we're sitting on the bench again, and he's like, Stradwick, good job, buddy, showed up tonight. I'm like, thanks, man. And now Chaser and I are really good friends. Like, we talk quite often. Yeah. And um, so we end, up, we end up going, and, uh, you know, I, I think I played the next night. They, they got an injury, so they said, we need to have an extra player. You're not going to play a shift, so just come and watch us play. But it was against the New York Rangers. So oh, that wow. was unbelievable. I got the best seats in the house. I sat in the middle of bench for three periods, and I remember Todd Tuesdays, like, "How's your legs?" I'm like, "Not bad. How are yours?" You know, <laughs> <laughs> I was just sitting there, I had nothing going on. And then after that game, they're like, "Hey, thanks for everything, Strategy, We just sent you down." I'm like, "Okay," and so I got sent down. And you know, little did I know it'd be you know uh, almost two years I got called up again. Yeah. Uh,
0: So next season, um, I was going to ask you about training camp, but you you pretty much summed all that up already. So we'll jump down to Kentucky. 80 games, almost 200 penalty minutes. It must have been nice to be a teammate of Ken Belanger uh, Belanger, as opposed to fighting him, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, we had a tough team. Chris LaPuma, Ken Belanger. um, We had uh, my partner there, um, the Swede. uh, Freddie Oduya. Freddie Oduya,
2: yeah,
1: he was this guy. So, so he came from the IHL, I didn't know yep. who he was. Mm-hmm. And um, we're we're fight, we're playing the first night. And uh, oh, I can't. Craig Martin was a tough guy on yeah, our oh, yeah. team.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I remember saying to, uh, to Freddie, Freddie didn't talk. I said, Freddie, you know, what, man, I you know, if I were you, I wouldn't really, um, I wouldn't fight Craig Martin. He's like he's really tough. He's like, okay, Freddie, thanks, man first shift we're partners he goes out and spears craig martin and then they fight and they have an amazing fight i'm like what the hell so i we, we after the game like what happens like well i i heard what you said but it doesn't mean i didn't have to listen to you I'm Like, okay fair. so like we i think between us we had like over 40 fights and we were d partners most of the year like it must have been a nightmare um to play because then we we were just like and we, you know i talked about that swagger starting to get that swagger where i thought i was you know better than people and you know not in a bad way but you need that yeah so we were hacking and whacking like on penalty kills like i I, looking back on some videos i'm sure i should have been in jail but you know it was fun like we had a tough team and um you know the only guy who really tore through all of us was george the rock he beat us all up every one of us he was just so tough and um but you know to be fair i don't think he really lost too many fights so i'm not crying over that one no
0: and um I was going to, I heard you tell the story, the George LaRock story on another show. Um, so would you mind telling uh, my listeners yeah. about that story?
1: Yeah, sure. So everyone everyone um, on our team had kind of been beat up by George LaRock. Not kind of, they were. So they're like, Sweaty, you can do, he's got a glass jaw. i like, you're right. So I go wheel out there and there's a face off and I'm like chirping them and Ralph uh, Interneuval, who I hated, <laughs> huge nose. He's yeah. like, Stratton, you're going to get killed. I'm like, screw you, I'm going to kick his ass. So as soon as my gloves hit the ice, George grabs onto me and is pounding. Like, I can't even, like, get my head I'm, I'm like, my head's just turned away, and he's hitting the back of my head. And every now and then I turn around, I'm like, are you done? And he hit me a couple more times. Like, okay, I'll take that as a no. So I turn back around. Finally, he tired out. It was the end of the period, nearly you know, so we went off the ice. And I had to go put my helmet back on for the next period. I couldn't get it on. It was so tight. I had all these Barney rubbles in the back of my head, so they had to give me a larger size helmet. In the end, I think they just put like a garbage can lid over my head with a strap, because my head was so sore. And I remember I laid my head on the pillow that night, it hurt so much, I laid on the side, or I just laid on my forehead. Like, he just abused me, like absolutely. It was like me fighting a ten-year-old, like tossing the kid around with nobody's business. And I played against George many, many times after that, Many, and I was physical on him, I played him hard. But I didn't even look at him once to fight because the, the worst part was he was only getting better as a fighter. Yeah, like I was I was improving, but not at the rate he was. So um, yeah, it was crazy. He was an animal. Well, when I
0: uh, I had heard you tell that story, um, and basically what I was doing was I'm, I'm on YouTube, I'm watching stuff, and then I, had, I break out my old DVDs, and I have a Kentucky DVD from that year, so I actually saw the yeah. fight, and yeah. I was like, "Well, wow, he's pretty accurate. That's pretty much how it went down." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm glad it matches my description because no. I remember the very negative experience in my life. <laughs> well, you survived, though, you know, and I mean, yeah. uh, I mean, he's a, he's a tough guy, and uh, you survived, and you lived to fight another day. Yeah, you know what's funny? Like, so far, I've only told all my losses. I must have got a couple
0: wins in there. <laughs> well, I, you did. As a matter of fact, that year, you had some pretty impressive fights. I'll give you um, Ian McIntyre of Syracuse. Uh, Jeremy Stevenson of Cincinnati and a, a big dude named Roger Maxwell. You did very well in those fights.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, It started getting better. You know, and I kid around, like I, you know, like I, I, um, you know, I got in enough. I wasn't a, a pure fighter by gone to enough fights, and uh, you know, you kind of. I think a lot of my fights were draws, you know, or maybe slightly decisions, one or another. Like it was, it was rare. I don't think I ever knocked. Oh, I know, I never knocked anyone out, and I never got knocked out. Um, you know, and you just kind of. I was big and strong and could kind of defend myself and kind of maybe rough up the other guy without really hurting him. Um, and that was kind of, you know, I was okay with that. Like, I, I didn't need to be on Rock'em Sock'em. I was happy with the way I did it. Um, but I just looked at it as a skill I added because um, I had to separate myself from other players. Like, there was a lot of Jason Strudwick's. They were, you know, pretty big. They could skate pretty well. Decent, decent skills, you know. Um, but I had to add another skill to it, which was to, to fit into that bottom pairing in the NHL you had to be able to protect yourself and your teammates. So I was like, that's a pretty easy one to add if you're willing to do it. And there's some sleepless nights, but it was, it was well worth it when I look back on my time in the IHL. Well,
0: here, here's the issue with asking you about the fights you lost because you're so colorful in the description that you're, you're, <laughs> you're telling the stories about you losing and they're so colorful that we're going to get to some wins. Don't get me wrong, but I'm sitting here thinking... Now that you mention it, all the stories I've heard you say over the years are about, you know, the George LaRoc and this other stuff. Yeah, um, yeah you, you're so colorful about it, and you're so humble about it. So, uh, But we're going to get to some wins, don't get me wrong. Sure. All yeah, uh, right. Sure. The next season in uh, Kentucky, there's two guys, well, three guys I want to ask you about. Two of them are known as well-known characters. I think your first fight that year was against Sasha Lakovic in
1: Albany. Yeah. Now, did I? Uh, do you have a story about that one that I may have heard? Yeah. Well, yeah. You know what? I, I, <laughs> this guy was. It's pretty hyped up on, 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 on life. I'd say. <laughs> and um, I remember when I fought him. He, his eye. I've never seen eyes like that. It, he. His eyes were rolling back in his head, and I think if he could have killed me, he would have killed me. He <laughs> was so mad. But I learned how to fight now and be protective. You know, and he was almost vibrating. Like he was. There was something going on in that body, and. Uh, he just wouldn't stop, and he was so fired up. Like it was, it was unbelievable. <laughs> fired up. I'd never fought a more intense guy than that in that fight. And I'm not sure what was going on, but something was. And uh, you know, he. I surprisingly, went and played in the NHL. I didn't really necessarily see that coming, but um, yeah, he. he <laughs> that was one of the most. Uh, I just couldn't. I remember thinking, what is this guy's problem? Like, why is he so amped up? So he was pretty. He was pretty intense guy, and I I, I never fought anyone that intense since that time ever uh, in
0: their fight. I think a lot of that probably has to do with the fact that uh, he came from the IHL with Vegas, and uh, I think he was by far the most popular player on the team, and then uh, he gets signed to New Jersey, and then he's in Albany, and I, I guess it's just hard to uh, to change it when you you have that kind of mindset, even though maybe now you're playing in front, you're not playing for an independent team, you're playing for a team run by Lou Lamarillo. so uh, but uh, I guess maybe that's part of it, but Another guy that you fought twice in one game, who really didn't make a mark. In uh, he didn't. I don't think he ever played in Washington. I know he played in Portland, but then he really became something in the uh, the Quebec League, the LNah. Is uh, Joel the Animal Terrio? You fought him twice in Portland. Do you remember those?
1: Yes, I do. You know jo- what was the name? Joe Terrio. Joel Terrio. You know what's funny is that I I've been telling that story for years because that was one of the last couple games i played in in the minors is when i when i fought him yeah. and he was so he was angry too i yep. don't know what his problem was and uh i'd have to look him up because i've often wondered I, I couldn't remember his name yeah and i remember they were pretty spirited bouts uh if i remember correctly and he was more than happy to to, to, to get going but yeah that's fine i honestly i could not rem- i thought it was jody shelley for a long time that I asked i looked it up and shelley wasn't you didn't play there Right. So now I'll, I'll be looking that up. Joe Terrio, that's good to know. Yeah. And the animal, that's good. I guess that piece on my repertoire, another tough guy that I fought.
0: Yeah, Joel Terrio, I think he was probably high on the same life that Lakovic was.
1: Yeah, okay, yeah.
0: So, uh, but yeah. De- definitely yeah, see that. just warning you, when you put in Joel Terrio's name on YouTube... Be prepared because there's a lot of stuff on there from that Quebec league. He was an absolute, I mean, literal animal up there. One of the, I mean, you know about that league. I'm sure you do. Yeah. And he was, he's one of the guys that when you talk about that league, he's one of the guys that gets mentioned because he was an absolute terror up there. So <laughs> you'll be going down that rabbit hole. Just get ready. Be in a comfortable Good chair. Know. Good to know. Um, one more guy that you fought uh, in Portland that year, you fought him three times, and two seasons prior to that with Adirondack you fought him three times. According to the research I've done, I don't know how accurate that is, is Mark
1: Major. Yeah. Anything personal with him or uh, There was. Yeah, there was. So he um, he when I when he was with, was it with Providence before? He was with Providence, then Adirondack, yeah. then Portland. Yeah, so I think he was a, ca- and I, I don't know what it was, He something about that guy just bothered me, you know, I don't know what it was, I didn't, I never even walked the ice, drawn on the ice, he was kind of cocky, and he was a little bit older than me, and we just had something going on, and every time we hook up, we'd fight, and, um, you know, they were pretty good fights, and I learned a lot fighting him, he was smart, you know, he wasn't maybe as big as me, but he was a smart fighter, yeah and um, you know physically I should have been dominating him, but like he was so good and such a smart fighter but yeah he's I saw I think that was five or six times I fought. I believe it because I honestly we fought a ton and I remember the last time I fought him in the minors um, I thought to myself like I hope I make the because I don't want to fight this guy anymore like we fought <laughs> enough but like, he is he was tough and but we just hated each other and, and I think for a while he had a handlebar mustache Yep. and I don't like Hannibal mustache yep. on, a, on hockey players so I'd go out of my way after those, because I thought it was kind of cocky and they were trying to act tough. Mm-hmm. So those are the kind of guys I wanted to prove that weren't tough. So I think that's why Major and I had a had bit of disagreements. Well, I don't think it was a handlebar. I think it was a Fu Manchu.
0: Oh, Fu Manchu, there you go. Yeah, yeah it was a Fu. Right. So he yeah. wasn't like Raleigh Fingers. It was, uh, it was yeah, definitely yeah. a Fu Manchu. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so that season you ended up playing uh, 17 games with the Islanders. Um, and you had uh, four fights. So you, your first fight was with Jeff Rodgers really good fight. You, you fought him a bunch of times in your career. and I don't uh, he's another guy. I don't know anyone who doesn't love Jeff Rodgers, doesn't respect Jeff Audres. I mean the guy he fights for his teammates. I mean, that's a guy not interested in personal glory. Uh, do you, so we'll, we'll just I'll mention the names to you and then you can tell me yep. what you remember. After that, you had a toe-to-toe fight with uh, another guy you ran into a few times, Reed Simpson. Uh, your last fight with the Islanders was against a uh, guy Islander fans are way familiar with, Kenny Baumgartner. In between, there was a, a thing with Chris Terry, and he didn't really look interested uh, in yeah. fighting you. But out of the four, you had three legitimate
1: tough guys in there. Uh, do you remember those fights? Well, Reed Simpson I remember really well because like, he, he was, you know, just kind of left the minors. When I when I went to the NHL, you know, a year or two before, and he was a legend in the minors. How smart a fighter he was! Yeah. So I wanted to fight him because I had to find out if, like, if he, if I could fight him, yeah. I knew I could handle myself with most guys, like not the big guys, but most guys I could handle. Yeah. So when I fought him and did well, I was really happy. Like I was like, okay, this is good. Um, you know, Kenny Baumgartner, I'd watch him beat up guys for years. Yep. So when he I could tell he wanted he like he was at Boston, I could tell he wanted to fight. Like he you know, when when you're an older guy you kinda wanna put the young guys in their place and I get it. Yeah. But I could tell in warm up he he wanted some, so I'm like, okay. So he ran me at the blue and I knocked him down and as soon as I hit him I knew he was gonna want to fight. And you know, that fight I like to have back. Like I was I think I was a little bit intimidated and Kenny gave me a you know, he he didn't destroy me but he he, he took the fight for sure. But, you know, five years later it was in a different story mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and then but Jeff Rogers, you know, I don't remember that specific fight, but yeah. I remember um the last time I fought him uh, he was in Atlanta, I think and uh, um, He said to me we're in the Pellet and we fought like I think we fought three four or five times something like that And he we're in the penalty box. He goes strutty. He goes I'm retiring. Who are you gonna fight after me? I'm like <laughs> like I'm glad you're retiring. I don't want to fight you anymore. And we're both kind of laughing because it seemed like either he would come out to get me or I'd come get him because our team was up or down, you know? Yeah. It was rarely a fight where we're just like, uh, oh, let's just fight. You know what I mean? Like, it was always like we're trying to shift the momentum. So he was comfortable fighting me and I was comfortable fighting him. So I I, ran into, I saw him every now and then, and I, I really like Aji. Oh, he's a great guy, but yeah. I'll never forget that. Yeah, I'm, I'm retiring this you. Who are you going to fight after me? And <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, but I don't want to fight you anymore. <laughs> and I want everyone to know that even though
0: I lump these four fights together, while you're fighting these guys but you weren't up this whole time this was you were you were up with the islanders you were going down to kentucky you were coming back up you were going down yeah. so it wasn't like you had a block of games with the islanders you were still on that shuttle back and forth and then every time you came up it seemed like you had someone to dance with so i just want to point out that it wasn't that you had a secure spot on the team but every time you you were up you did your job so uh so I just want to say, you know, compliments to you. I didn't want to give people the wrong idea. You're going from the buses to the island and everything, and yeah. just the fact yeah. that you did that, you know, just it it says a lot about your heart and everything like that. Yeah. So, you know, Thanks. um, so we you you briefly touched on it, but <clears throat> excuse me. So tell me what happens. Uh, you're having a conversation with Mike, and he tells you that um, you are traded to Vancouver for Geno Ojic and then you're playing them thirty six hours later or whatever it was. So can you take me from the time you had the discussion with Mike
1: until say the morning of the game? Yeah. Well what happened was that after I got tra- after I got known that, that I was been traded, I was we literally I was with the Islanders. We fly into Vancouver to play Vancouver and now I get traded to Vancouver and Gino comes to Island. So we're in my hotel and my phone rings, you've been traded, okay great. Mike Keenan calls, says be downstairs in the lobby in five minutes. Someone's picking you up for a press conference. So I I didn't have much stuff. I just had like a couple, a bag, because we were on like a you know week road trip. I go down to lobby. This guy picks me up, takes me to the rink. And as I'm walking out or walking in, Gino Ojik's walking out, and he's not happy. Like I get it. He was a long time Canuck, and I I get it, all those things. So it was the first question. I one of the first questions I get when I get into my media scrum. They're like, "Well, Gino's not happy. Got? He says he doesn't mind getting traded. He didn't like getting traded for nobody." And I was like, "What? What'd you say?" (laughs) And So, you know right there I decided I was gonna fight him. like I was like this is happening I don't care like um, so we you know I kind of chased him around a little bit and not that he was scared let's get that clear um, but I don't think he, he wanted to fight in his terms and we dropped the gloves eventually and you know he's holding on to my right hand and I'm like what's he doing why is he doing this I'm like I'm kind of winning this right now and all of a sudden as soon as I figured out he's tiring me out he let go and hit me a couple times and down I went and um you know, it was funny. So after the game, the media said, "Well, you know, why did you fight Gino?" I said, "Well, he said he knew who he was, so I thought introduce myself." <laughs> and uh, and that was it. You know, and then Gino and I ran to each other after that, and you know, there was no hard feelings. Like I, I totally got where he's coming from. Like I don't, I'm not like soured. It, it worked out well, I think, for me and him. So um, you know, but that was that was that was pretty. It was pretty crazy to be traded to the other team and then play. And then, like, Mike Keenan, if you had a good first shift, you played the rest of the game, right? Like, that's how he was. And I, I was so happy to play and to get to Vancouver with, like, my idol, Mark Massey. Like, it was amazing. It was, like I said, I, I'm not upset with Mike Milbright. I like, shouldn't be. I mean, he, I, he started me in the NHL, but he also got me to somewhere where I really thrived and learned how to be an NHLer um, on the long term. So it worked out really well. So... Um you're going to Vancouver. I don't. Obviously,
0: there are. I'm sure players in Vancouver Canucks history more popular than Gino Wojcik. I don't yeah. know how many there are, though. I mean, he's he's up probably on a lot of fans' Mount Rushmore. So now you're traded for the guy. How did the fans
1: uh, take to you after that trade? You know what? Uh, I think in maybe in some ways I was very lucky. There wasn't a lot of social media then, or none. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that saved a lot of it, but. You know what I? You know I've, I keep bringing this up, but I was kind of naive. Like I, I just liked playing hockey. You know, I wanted to do the best I could for my team. I was a very team-first guy. Um, you know, I think fighting Gino that first night was, you know, in a in a backward way, the best thing I could have done.
2: Because
1: yeah. I let people know, like, hey, I'm here. Like I'm here and ready to party. You know, and um, you know I played a physical game. I stood up for my teammates. Um, you know, I think you could figure out that I was a pretty fun guy that the, the, the team, that the fans started figuring that out, yeah. so you know, I, you don't replace Gino Ojek, I was never right. trying to, um, but I was trying to be the best teammate I could be um, and, and you know I think the fans came to, to respect me, you know, I don't, I don't know there's any anyone building uh, shrines to me <laughs> but uh, you know it, it, I, I, like I, I, I was always kind of just wrapped up on what I needed to do for myself I was never really worried about what the media were saying or the fans. I mean, I always loved hearing positive from the fans, like, "Hey, we appreciate the way you work. We appreciate this. We like this, like that." But I was never looking for. I knew what I was doing, and if I was doing it well, it you know was it was getting the right. I was getting them the right uh, response in my game, and the teammates were reacting the right way. What, What the media said, I I really didn't care because at the end of the day. You know, they, like I'm a media member now. Do I know everything that's going on there? No, not really. No, I don't know. Maybe ten percent.
2: Right. So
1: I, I was, you know, I, I think I was just I was the I was the right person to to have be traded for that situation because I, not that I didn't care, but I I really didn't care. I'm like I'm gonna do what I need to do. best, That's enough. At the end of the day,
0: that's good. You played with three guys on Vancouver. I want to ask you about specifically. Two of them are two of my favorites. I love them. Uh, third guy, I think he's a little off-center. Uh, you can definitely uh, talk about that.
1: Uh, first, uh, Dave Scatcher. Yeah. Love him. Yeah, Dave Scatchy. Love, love Dave. Yeah, was an amazing human. Uh, as soon as I got there, just big hug. Uh, we played against each other in junior. Actually, I broke his nose in junior. Oh, <laughs> in the fight? Fighting? Yeah, yeah, so I mean that was a big thing, I couldn't miss that target, right, <laughs> but he was amazing, like he right away was on me, uh, you know, like hey, let's go here, let's go there, like always welcoming me, and he was an amazing guy to bring me in, and he had a really good NHL career, yeah. um, ironically, I think a couple of years later we'd meet up in, I think he with the, the or Rangers maybe, he came and played with the Rangers for a little bit, but yeah, he was an amazing, amazing human being, and um you know, he. I know he had some tough times with a concussion. I think he's doing yeah. better now. But yeah. a great guy, and uh, like as a teammate, like I couldn't have been anything. Asked for anything more. Yeah. Uh, similar to him, a uh, little older than both you guys, I think. Uh, Brad May, uh, the feisty little Irishman. So <laughs> the night, that, like when we got traded, I got traded for Gino. Like he, he told me, like, I had no idea who you were. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. But he goes, the second you fought Oj Ojek. Ojek He's like, I loved it. And he came up to me after the game. He's like, I love that you fight Ogic. I love that you did that. Like, that sends a message to everybody. Yep. And right away, he was like in my corner, right? Yeah. And when I get into a fight later, you always see him. He'd be pumped. He had these huge hands. He'd be pumped up and like, just Jack. Like, I, I love that guy. And I always call him the feisty little Irishman. Yeah. But same thing. He always was good. Like, hey, Straight, I got a guy. I got a guy. He always had a guy somewhere. <laughs> so he would go into Phoenix. Like, I got a guy. I got. Yeah. So he go, the guy would take us golf here. The guy <laughs> would take us dinner here. Like, it was amazing, and Brad May, like, just an amazing, amazing guy.
2: Yeah.
1: And um, tough. Yeah. Like, it's so funny, though. He, until, he t- his, his, uh, until his skates touched the ice, he's the nicest guy. As soon as his, t- his skates touched the ice, he turned into, like, a, a, a nightmare. Yeah. Then he just stepped on the ice, and he'd be just Brad May again. Like, he was an amazing human.
0: Yeah, no question. Uh, I mean, I, I love him. I, I love him as a player. He's an even better person. So uh, I knew you'd have nothing but good things to say about him. Yeah. Now, my off-center guy, I mean, he's a goalie, uh, Garth Snow. You uh, got a, he, I'm, I mean, he's, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but he's a goalie, so you know they're a little weird. But uh, what were your impressions of Garth? Well, he, he
1: was honestly one of my favorite guys there, and he yeah. was very witty, very witty. Oh, yeah, for sure, definitely. And he, he and Adrian O'Coin would gang up on me and shirt <laughs> me at the time, right? But because of that, like I became a, an elite level chirper. Like I could chirp at anybody, mm. and um, because these guys would gang up on me, I remember the night that I those two guys were chirping me. I was chirping them back, and like I got I got the edge on them. And all the young guys were going crazy because they <laughs> Snowy and the Oki okay, always put them in their place, right? And I got them. And um, I mean, Snowy was great, but like he would do things. So at the end of every warm up, I always wanted when the goalie would just kind of leave the net, I'd go and just shoot in the net and score. Well, Snowy found this out. So he started staying in the net when he wasn't playing, and he would try, so he wouldn't let me score. So there'd be times where like, like it'd be like a minute past the war- end of up and I'd be trying to slam the puck in the net, and he'd be like standing there, and the fans in would be cheering for Snowy, because <laughs> I could've scored, and finally i put it in there, and I'd score, and I'd be like, I'd be like celebrating going off the ice. <laughs> This was in warm-up and our trainers would be smiling and cheering like it was absolutely crazy. Like and I think that's part of the reason I had to put that rule in, you know, because the Zamboni couldn't come on. <laughs> and then um, then when he got traded, I always did this I, I would skate hard between the blue line and red line, like from blue line stop, red line okay. stop, just two times, right? But he knew that, so when he was on the other team, he'd go and stand in the area I was trying to to do the start the starts on. Even when he was playing. Yeah. So, like, I'd, like, slash him and get him out of the way. <laughs> like, he was just mad. Then the teammates would come out, like, what do you, like, is there a fight I'd be, like, slashing their starting goalie to get out of my way? <laughs> like, um, it was just crazy. He was, but, like, because I was pretty intense. Like, I had my routine, and when he yeah. got in the way, he would drive me crazy. So, yeah, he was a funny guy. Oh, my God. And as you're slashing him, all you're doing is firing him up for the
0: game. So, you know. Oh, yeah.
1: He yeah. was looking for a response, right? But yeah. then he had also been directly find me up, right? Mm-hmm. And like and we know those nights that I look back when I when I couldn't score him a warm-up, probably I had some really good games because I was so dialed in just trying to score on this guy, you know? And, but I remember one time I finally scored. It had to be 30, 40 seconds past warm-up. And the trainer's high-fiving me. The fans are cheering. It's like <laughs> the game hasn't even started yet. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> No, so he was I, I always
0: was I was always hoping that uh, when he was here playing uh, he'd end up in a fight you know because uh, he didn't mind uh, yeah. shedding the gloves and everything and it never happened and I was uh, I, I always wanted and I don't I shouldn't say I always wanted it because I can't remember if they actually uh, um, if their uh, paths lined up probably not I guess because uh, I think they might have crossed paths in uh, in Vancouver but I always wanted guard Snow to grab Dan Cloutier.
1: Yeah, it, he was a tough guy. Yeah. He was a real tough guy. Klutz, I played with Klutz too. Yeah, and Klutz, like he looked for it. Like he yeah. wanted to fight a little bit crazy. Yeah, um, I think Snowy did it more just because he wanted to irritate people. Yeah, but <laughs> Klutz, he embraced like contact, and he he was fiery. So yeah, it's fine. Like with those goals we had there, like he was. You know, when I got there, Sean Burke just left, and then um, and then you get into with uh, Snowy. Uh, Kevin Weeks wasn't really—he kind of more stayed in his but Dan Clute was very, very fiery. Yeah, and he definitely wanted to feel the uh, give guys the pain.
0: Well, it's funny because
1: there was um,
0: an incident here, Islander Ranger incident, where uh, I don't know if you have ever seen it on YouTube, where Clute, yeah. you know, he kind of you know beats on Tommy Sallow a little bit, and then yeah. Oh, yeah. so the ranger fans you know i mean you know this you played there they're not that bright but uh you know they always talk about how all oh, cluce challenged the bench nobody wanted to fight and i go watch the video again if you want to challenge the bench you do what john wensink did you stand in front of the bench and you don't move what Kluche did yeah, was right. he challenged the bench while he was skating backwards yeah. so i know they have their revisionist history and i'm not saying that cluce wasn't yeah. tough I know he was, and I I actually was a fan of his. But I go, you know, pump the brakes a little bit here because he's challenging the bench while skating backwards. And and especially, forget about it if it was now, but back then the rules were changing. Nobody was coming off the bench. You know, it was just putting on the show. But I guess they need something to cling to. I don't know about that. Yeah, Yeah. and honestly,
1: like, it'd be a pretty rare thing for your jumper to fight a goalie. Exactly. You know, like, it'd be because it's just like, what do you fight a goalie for? Like, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have gone after him. Right. No, I right. can like, hey, whatever. Like you, just go sit down. You're a
0: goalie, all right. You're like the kicker. No. <laughs> so, um, you already mentioned that when you were younger, you were Marc Messier, and uh, now you're in the same locker room as him. And, and as we both know, uh, Edmonton was the second best uh, dynasty in the '80s, <laughs> second best. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you're you're basically there with. I mean, obviously Wayne was the best player on that team, Mark maybe second or depending on how you view it. But, um, you know, Messi is a legend uh, of his own. But now you're in the same locker room with your
1: idol. And uh, what was that like? Yeah, so the the morning skate after I got traded, I walk into the dressing room and there's like Burry, McGilney. You know, I knew Bertuzzi and Caber, but all these great players that I, you know, watched for a long time. So I was kind of nervous, so I'm like, I'm going to take my stick and go into the stick room and work on my stick. And I never worked on my stick, so I was like, I just wanted to hide. So I go in there. Who's in there? Mark Messier. So he turns around and is like, hi, I'm Mark. I'm like, yeah, I think I know who you are. I'm Jason Stryber. So I could, now I couldn't leave, though, right? I was very pot committed, so all of a sudden I start doing all this stuff to my stick. I didn't even know what I was doing. Uh, I looked like, uh, you know, a carpenter uh, and started <laughs> to do stuff. And we talked for like 15 minutes and it was like, this is the greatest moment of my life, you know? And, uh, you know, Mark, you know, I talked about some people who influenced me, like uh, off and, um, you know, Don Hay, Jamie Rivers. Well, Mark Messi, <laughs> he, you know, he, he taught me a lot about how to be a, a, a pro, and how to treat people. And, you know, Mark Messi, when he walked into a room, you knew he was there, he looked people in the eye, he remembered your name, he said hello to people when he walked into uh, arenas. Uh, trainers he looked after like he did all those things right and what I loved most about mess is that he never if he made a good play Yeah, that was good if you made a bad play no problem like he never you, know you see guys go crazy slam their sticks on the ice not mess just calm and I always felt like When he was on the bench everything was going to be okay because mess was there right not that he was going to go and score actually he was just there. He was calming things down and my last year in the NHL we, we had a player on our teammate Tom Gilbert and um, he was my roommate, and I don't know how it came out, we were talking about, he goes, you know, Strutty, I know you don't play as much as you used to, but he goes, I love when you're on the bench, because everything just feels better when you're there, and I thought, you know, that's the nicest compliment someone could say to me, because that's how I felt about my idol, you know, and and again, I wasn't going to go score a hat-trick, but, like, just the way he, he carried himself, and spoke, and handled crazy situations, when everyone else was losing his mind, mess, you know, he lost his mind sometimes, but he was calm, and like, I just love that. And I try to bring that to my play, but I also try to bring that to the kids I coach now. So I'm on the bench. I'm not losing my mind. I'm calm. Like, if I can't stay calm, how can I expect my players to stay calm? Right, right. Well, no, that's that's tremendous.
0: Um, you know, like I said, I, and I just want to make sure you heard that I did say they were the second best dynasty yeah, in the year. Yeah, i you. You're, Okay, so just want to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and actually, it's funny you say that about when a legend introduces themselves to you, because... Uh, I don't know. I I hope they're inviting you. The Islanders do an alumni weekend every year now. And um, a couple years ago, uh, I went, after the game, I went back to the hotel, you know, see Mick and Mike McWilliam and stuff. And it's at at the bar and everything. And who comes up to me? Hi, hey, what's your name, Joe? Hey, Joe, how you doing? I'm Bob Nystrom. I'm like, uh, yeah, I know who you are. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know, I know who you are. You're my hero. So, uh, so that was cool. But it's it's nice when you meet someone that has, from afar anyway, influenced your life or your career, and and they're just humble about it. It it really to me it just makes it that more that much more special when you meet a Mark Messier and he goes, hi, I'm Mark, and. If i meet a bob nystrom and he goes hi i'm bob nystrom it just yeah. there, when there's no ego around it i think it just makes it that much more special
1: it does it does because you have an idea built up your mind of who they are yeah and then when you get to meet them and get to know them it even makes it more special for sure
0: so i'd be remiss if i didn't ask you about uh mike keenan what was that like
1: you know what he was really good i have to admit like i i really liked him um you know I don't know that I became a, a lot better hockey player because right. of him like he didn't really believe in praxis too much and at my point in my career I wasn't right but he definitely understood how I had to play and uh, you know I had to be on my toes and he said the first shift's your most important shift every game
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he was right you know like I, I after I got that message from every game I felt I had a good first shift I'd have a good game right um, and he was great like I, I honestly have nothing but bad things now I was only with him for what like Forty games, fifty games, something. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a ton, but um, though, you know, I will say this: that after every fight I had, I'd go over to sit in the panel box, come back, and you know, I'd be sitting on the bench, and all of a sudden, I'd get a little tap on the shoulder, yeah. and that's all, and he would go back. He appreciated it, right? Yeah. And I can't tell you how much as a player that means to me when my coach did that. Yeah. Now again, I wasn't Bob Probert. I wasn't fighting a thousand times, but just just to be recognized that and to give a little tap. And Mess was the same way. Like Mess was amazing. Like yeah. he he'd be, he'd be like, if I was tired, he'd be like, "Hey, are you a little tired?" Because you know he knew I was gonna fight. I'm like, "Yeah, I could use a breather." And he'd just go and talk to the linesman or something. And he'd look over at me. And I'd give him a wink. Then he'd go back in the draw and drop, and I'd fight. You know, like I I just I yeah. can't tell you how much that meant to me that he recognized that I wasn't just a piece of meat. You know, and not that other guys didn't, but I think a lot of them didn't think about it. Yeah. So for for Mess and Mike and I. Yeah, I have nothing but good things to say for him. He traded for me. And well, well, how can I be upset? I went to play in Vancouver for almost five years.
0: Yeah. Um, so a weird situation at the end of that season. Uh, Vancouver season then, now you go back to the American League to play in the playoffs, but you're going to play for a team that you had never played for before. You're going down to Syracuse, you would never played for them because when uh, earlier in the year you're in Kentucky with the Islanders. Now you get traded to Vancouver. So was that a little weird, going to play for a team in the playoffs that you had never played for? Yeah, it was.
1: So, you know, just think that year I'd spent, I had a place in Kentucky, so I was there for two, three months. Then I went to Long Island. I was in a hotel for two and a half months. I moved into my, with Brian Burrard and those guys for like a week, and I got traded. Yeah. And then I went to Vancouver and stayed in a hotel for like two, two months or whatever it was, maybe a month and a half, whatever it was, doesn't matter. And then I get sent down to Syracuse. I'm in like another hotel. Yeah. like i'm not gonna lie like i my my priority of winning wasn't really that high in that that series yeah and i get down there i'm like oh my god and i was i was just i was tired like i was emotionally tired um you know i faked it and i i played hard and all that stuff but i think when i got down there we were already a couple of games in the series maybe already okay and um and i end up i end up playing and you know it was fine but we i th- thought we actually had a pretty good team but we didn't we weren't able to get it done
2: yeah
1: um so i'm not gonna lie man when the se- when that ended yeah. i just got my stuff i had to fly back kentucky then the stuff i had in long island i think briard like sent it down there i got all my stuff got a u-haul trailer and i drove home all the way from um all the way from kentucky and i was so happy to get home and i remember i, I stayed with my mom and dad uh, i think i ended up buying a little townhouse that summer but i was so happy to get home and just be in one house and like <laughs> just it was and I, I know it sounds like spoiled but like when you're in you know, I was four different teams in one year yeah and now two of them were in HL so I'm not complaining I, I know I made good money but I was just like I was so happy for it to end and I think like but within a week I was boom I was working out again feeling good because I was so excited about next season yeah well uh th- when you were down there though you played for
0: uh someone who I'm a fan of uh, the Wolfman Jack McElhargy now you weren't there that oh, yeah. long but uh what was that like? Because uh, I imagine he's probably a pretty cool dude.
1: Oh, Black Jack McAherty. Yeah, I love that guy. Yeah. So he actually became our assistant coach in the NHL. So yeah. I was with him for quite a few years. Okay. And, you know, I really liked him. Like, Jack was a very positive guy. Yeah. And I really liked that. Like, um, a lot of the D-men coaches I had, like, Charlie Huddy, uh, Steve Smith, um, uh, you know, Ralph uh, Kruger for yeah. a bit, Tom Penny, uh, Perry Perrin. Very positive. Like, mm-hmm. they may have been losing him inside, but... You know, as a D-man, it's a hard position, and you're going to make mistakes, it's, or someone's going to make you of that. So to have someone who's very positive on the bench, I really like that. So yeah, as a coach, Jack was good, and as an assistant coach, I loved him, because he was very positive, and just kind of built you up, right? And I, again, I now, I take a little bit from everyone, when I'm coaching kids, I'm always trying to be positive and build them up. We, they know when they make a mistake, or they should know, yeah. so you try to build them up so they know how to make a better play next time.
0: Now we're going to talk about some of your fights from the next season because uh, I think sure. this season you had some some really, really good, good ones. Yeah. Um, do you remember the fight you had with Mark Tenorti
1: in Vancouver? Yeah, it was kind of my first fight that year, and it was late. It yeah. took me a while to get into a fight. I'm like, i got to get into a fight. Like This is crazy. And I love Mark Tenorti as a yeah. player. I love him. Yeah. Like He was one of my favorite players. And I don't even know what his nickname was, but I called him the Tin Man. I think reason. that was his nickname. Was it? Yeah. yeah, so before the game, I'm like, I'm going to fight the Tin Man tonight. And, um, I, and he was huge. But it's not because I wanted to hurt him. It's just because it was like, I wanted to be him, right? Yeah. So we go out there and there's this big squam that develops and you and he, he could tell he wasn't really into it. He's like, this young guy's an idiot. But <laughs> finally, he drops the gloves. And again, not that he was scared. I think he was just like, I don't want to do this. But we did. And I think it was a good fight. And, yeah. But I was so pumped that I fought the Tin Man. Like, I fought him and then I think at some point in the next couple of years, I fought Luke Richardson. I really wanted to fight him too. Like, these are guys I wanted to be like. Lyle mm-hmm. Low fought him like, these are the guys I grew up wanting to be. So you want to see, test yourself against them.
0: I don't know if you wanted to be him, but you had a an amazing toe-to-toe fight against Cam Russell when he was at the Avalanche. Do you remember that one?
1: Yeah, he was a tough guy. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I fought him a couple times uh, over my career. He was tough. And um, I think we were kind of similar. Like, we didn't like to take crap from guys. Yeah. Felt like someone's getting up on you. But yeah, that was, that was a pretty good fight. I remember thinking, like... Uh, you know, it, it was two guys that are very similar, and I figured we'd run into each other again in the future. You also fought
0: your buddy Shane Doan uh, <laughs> when he was with Phoenix. What was that? About? You remember that situation?
1: Yeah. So what happened? We were playing in Vancouver, and his mother Fala came down to watch the game. And um, I, w- I, you know, I was trying to establish myself as a physical player. So Shane Doan told me that game I was running all you know, running around hitting guys, and um, their coach um, Sean Felt. Came down on the bench to him and his bister and said, "Guys, you're going to play against this guy for the next ten years. Do you want to take his shit now, or do you want to deal with it forever?" And so the next shift, Shane Doan came out there and fought you." <laughs> <laughs> so I always bug him that my hands are still sore. I can't play the piano properly because I beat him up so bad. Uh, but it was so weird. Like we were we lived against across from each other in junior for two years. Like we we, we still talk. We text all the time. Yeah. And uh, but at the time, like you know, you just want to beat your buddy. And so that was a that was a really good fight, actually. And, you know, Doner was tough. Yeah, oh yeah. And goal scorer, I could fight. Yep. Um, it was a good fight, but I, I I definitely destroyed him. And you can tell when I said that, too. Well, I, I've never had the pleasure of meeting him, but uh, I,
0: I don't... Is he on Twitter? Do, if he's on Twitter, I follow him. And if I follow him, I'm, I yeah. might just let him know when this drops on Monday yeah. that maybe he should yeah, listen to it. Sure. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you, later that season at Madison Square Garden, you had a marathon fight with Chris Tamer. Do you remember that fight? Yeah, I do.
1: I, you know, what that one was because um, um, we got down and it was like mess was going home. So I'm like, I'm going to fight. And Tamer was another guy I kind of wanted to emulate, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we Madison Square Garden, I think that was my first time playing there. So I was like, I was nervous. I mean, it's a special place. I love that play. I love the garden. Mm -hmm. even as a visitor you just want to put a show on so i got in there and i was like yeah let's do this and um it was a long one and i remember like i don't know i don't remember if it took me a while to get going i don't know if it was him or it was me but eventually i think i did get going but it was it was a good fight and he's a big strong guy too and you were fired up after the fight you know you you, a
0: lot of times most of your fights afterward you you didn't really react a certain way but there were a couple and that was one of them where you kind of pumped your fist or something you could tell like at the end of the fight
1: you were kind of fired up yeah we well, you know what it's true i try to be really calm after fights i, I remember this guy that um i watched uh, when i got to counts i'd watch some of this fight. i think his name was jeff watchhorn i think if i remember and this guy was tough but when he started you know you see guys squaring off their hands are all over the place and he was just calm and then we fight and then after we just be calm as well mm. and i just i i wanted to make it act like and I, and I was very calm. I think that one in Terry, and I was pretty young, so I think I reacted. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I just wanted my teammates and other team to think that, like, for me, it was just like I just wrote a letter. Like, I just, yeah. I just did something, and I just walked out. And then they're like, my God, this guy's not upset or happy. Like, and you never change your demeanor when, you, when you're going off the ice. And I tried to do that because I wanted to be really cool and just keep my team calm. And if I win they're like, this guy's not even fired up. It's yeah. like 'cause you act like you're supposed to beat that guy up. Yeah. And if you lose, you are calm when you won, so no one knows the difference. And I think that's a better approach to take. Um for fighting. I that was one I really liked. I just I was like, Yeah, I just did it. Like I just beat your guy up or I just lost. <laughs> I don't care. I just skating off like it was nothing. Well, it's always good to beat a guy wearing
0: the Ranger uniform. I mean, not necessarily when you were there, but it's a, it's not that yeah, when I you did. see a Ranger get get beat up. No, Tamer was yeah, a sure. tough guy. Yeah. He's a tough guy. So So yeah, yeah. I am gonna kinda of put you on the spot here. Um, and then I'm going ha- to ask you to change my mind. So in a late season game against Chicago, you had already fought Brad Brown. And Reed yeah. Simpson was challenging Donald Brashear. And Donald didn't fight him for whatever reason. And you stepped in for Donald and had a really good long fight with Simpson. Now, f- amongst fight nerds like myself, there's, yeah. there's no middle ground with Donald. You, you love the guy. <laughs> y- you think yeah. he's an absolute killer or yeah. he's the most frustrating guy ever because you know what he's capable of you know that when he decides to throw them he's going to put a guy into next week but if he doesn't decide to throw him, he's going to hug them to death okay so yeah. I'm sort of in the middle I, I don't have anything against him I, as a fan I wish he would have opened up a little bit more and I'll be honest with you I think um, in that situation now I don't know if, he had, if his hands were messed up if he was yeah. sore or whatever Jason Strudwick is not should not be jumping in against Reed Simpson the fight a fight for Donald Brashear. What do you think?
1: Yeah, no, 100%. I should be. This is what happens. So, when I play with Donald Brashear, um, when we play a team that had some really tough guys, let's take Washington. So they had Chris Simon, yeah, and they had Craig Berube and Brendan Witt. Br- Rash would come over. He's like, Struddy. If there's a problem with Chris Simon, I've got it. If there's a problem with the other two guys, you guys, you got it. Mm-hmm. No problem. Like. I'll be happy to fight Beruby or Brandon Witt. I'm not looking to fight Chris Simon, right. you know, mm-hmm. or we play Colorado. If there's a problem with Scott Parker, I'll deal with it. Mm. If there's a problem with Dingman or Rogers, you deal with it. I'm like, right. no problem. I can do it. So when he go into to play um, Chicago and Brash, uh, Probert was there at that time, and mm-hmm. Brash was pretty good against Probert. Yeah. Um, and he didn't have to tell me. I knew that he was going to take care of Probert. He didn't have to tell me that one. So I'm like, I'll take care of the rest of the guys, mm-hmm. but I also felt that like for a guy that fight as much as Brash, he didn't have to fight all those fights. Like, yeah, you know what, Ree Simpson, you want to get a shot at uh, Brash? Okay, fine. You're gonna have to beat me up, you know. So I was like, I'll do it. Like I, I, I was no problem. Like that to me wasn't even a question. When I, when I got back though, you, you know, the first guy to pat me on the back was Brash. Yeah. Like Brash, he was amazing. Like he, my, my whole career. Um, until i got with cold at the rangers mm-hmm. um you know brash was amazing like he 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 you know this sounds weird but he looked after me like yeah. he knew that, like if there's a problem with the big guy he knew he knew that i was out of my league with parker with um you know these huge Ma- Larock. he i he didn't even ask me to fight those guys right. but everyone else you better believe i better step up and do it so that's why i think he respected me mm-hmm. i had an unbelievable relationship with that guy and uh, in that situation, I was more than happy to do it for him because you know what? The, it wasn't just it, it wasn't just me fighting for him. It was the whole team mm-hmm. taking a fight for Brash, so he could have. You know, I think he fought forward that game, um, if I remember. But either way, he, he he didn't need to fight that fight. I fought it, and I took it on behalf of all of our teammates because Brash protected us so much their time. All right, I'll accept that. And the reason why I accept it is because,
0: like, you're a player. Like to me it's funny yeah. like on twitter now when when uh, i guess these young people whatever when they think they know everything and i, I see them shit talking players and stuff it makes me yeah. laugh because how do you shit talk a guy who's done it you know and uh <laughs> you know i think my biggest thing with brashear is probably more frustration than anything because i know how good he was and i would love a lot of those fights he had where he just ended up with the death grip and the seatbelt and everything i'm like just open up i want to see it i want to see it so i didn't have anything against him personally but yeah. uh but I had to ask you about that because you had already fought yeah. Brad Brown, and those chi- and you know those Chicago teams. Yeah. I, I mean, half the teams were half the team was tough, and uh, oh. you know I get the whole thing where he's going to take on Probert or he's going to take the Rock. You take everyone else, um, but it, if you'll indulge me, it's funny you say that because I remember a conversation I had with Brad uh, Brad May when he was with Buffalo, and it was when I was uh, doing the um, the Tough Guy magazines where I would rank the guys one to twenty five and. And Brad and I had the discussion once, because I'm not the biggest Rob Ray fan. I don't really yeah. care for Rob, and it's not the personal, I don't know him, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I hold grudges and I hated the jersey thing. And the ironic thing, in my opinion, about Rob Ray's career is, I think he got so much better in the second half of his career when he had to keep the jersey on. I think he was yeah. devastating yeah. with the jersey on. Um, yeah. And I had a talk with Brad once, and I said, you know, I, I gotta tell you, I honestly think that you're tougher than he is. And he you know, you know Brad, he's humble and everything, he, and he said, he goes, okay. He goes, let me come at you from this way. He goes, I appreciate you saying that, but when we play a game, Razor's the one fighting the heavyweights. He's the one fighting the bigger guys and everything else, and I, I get to fight the other guys. And he goes, I'm not saying I won't fight a heavyweight, and as you know, I mean, you played with the guy, the guy will fight anybody. Um, but I think that was Brad's way of just trying to maybe educate me, going, okay, I appreciate that, but Razor's fighting the heavyweights that I don't necessarily have to fight. And I guess it's similar to what you're saying about Brashear.
1: 100%. 100%. I've got lots of time for Brash. Lots of time. Okay. Excellent. So
0: uh, we go to the next season, and a similar guy, we're talking about tough defensemen, and this is a guy that I, I was a big fan of, uh, saw him play in Albany. Um, and I think you might have been played in uh, Western League before he was in Portland. But in Portland, uh, he was an absolute killer, and that's Kale Hulse with uh, Calgary. Yeah. Um, do yeah. you remember that fight you had with him?
1: Yeah, he was there before I was. He played. Yeah. He was older than me, so he was in junior. Oh, okay. Uh, he left junior. And, and what's that? No, I, I said, okay, I didn't know who was older. Yeah, he was older. He was a couple years older. So when I left junior, I just left junior. Or, sorry, he just left junior when I was coming in, and he was a legend. Yeah. So I'm like, and this other guy, too, this guy, Johnny they had both been there in, in Portland, so by this time I kind of learned how to fight. I'm like, I want to fight these guys because again, you want to see where you stack up, right? Mm-hmm. And it was a good fight. I believe I was just coming back from a back injury, I think, and um, I was like, I'm gonna find out if my back's good to go or not. And it was good because I handled myself with or Halsor was tough. He yeah. was really tough, lefty, um, but uh, it was fine. Like you know what? Again, it's, it's one of those situations where you're always trying to just move up the rankings and get a little more respect, a little more time, a little more space. And I was a guy that you know I, I was trying to you know become similar to. So you got to make sure you can you can if you're going to put yourself in that league, you better learn how to beat those guys or at least can compete with them on the fight stage. Right. So you mentioned
0: John Baduke. You uh, you want to hear my funny John Baduke story? Sure. Yeah. So um, so you know I'm on the island. We would go to different games and uh, all different yeah. American League teams. So we go up to uh, Albany to see Syracuse yeah. play, and I'd never met him before. So. Uh, Coming out for the warm-up, you know, he comes out, he's skating, he stretches by the bench, and I just hold up a VHS tape, and he's like, you know, gives me a look like, what's that? I'm like, oh, it's a fight tape for you. So he comes right off, right, and he goes, what's this? I'm like, oh, I made a fight tape. I I was uh, hoping to meet you and everything, right? He goes, oh, my God, like, it was, like, the greatest thing. So he goes back to go on the ice, and he talks to one of the trainers. So all of a sudden, you see the trainer run to the back, and warm-ups are over, And he hands John something. So John's coming off the ice. I give him the tape and he hands me five bucks. So I go, I go, what is this? He goes, oh, he goes, you made me a tape. He goes, I don't know. I'm like, dude, I don't want your money. I was like, that's so cool of you, but keep your money. I said, hey, how about after the game, I I meet in the back and maybe you got an extra stick. And he's like, oh, yeah, for sure. I go, that in all the years I've been doing this, he's the only one that ever offered me money. So uh, I just thought that was great. But I think it just. Like he's tough as hell, but he's a good guy. Like he's sitting there yeah. right before a game, thinking, "What do I? You know, this guy's made me a fight tape. You know, I should do something for him." But I always found that hilarious that he's sliding me five bucks. I'm like, "No, man, keep your money," and because I also had an idea what you guys were making in the minors, so definitely here, take your five. Here's for five from me, and I'll take yeah. a stick. You know, so uh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But y'all, you know, he was very tough. He was very tough. Um, you had a, a very long fight with Chris King. And uh, at the end, you kind of popped him a good shot and put him down. And that was another one I think you were fired up
1: at the end. Yeah, I was pretty happy. Man. I, didn't, the Leafs, I didn't love the Leafs. And, uh, you know, Chris King, similar to Tenori, I think Chris King is near, near the end of his career. I don't think he really wanted to fight, but, you know, he gave me a chance. But, um, you know, I felt like I was in pretty good shape. Um, so I always felt the longer the fight could go, I felt the better chance I had of, of, of getting my shots in. Uh, you know, some of these guys, they wanted to win the first five, ten seconds, right? And I felt if I could weather that storm that first five to ten seconds, then I could get set up and get organized, and then the length of my arms and, and kind of my conditioning could kick in. And that was kind of my technique. You know, the guys who figured out, they try to put me down and right away, and you know, sometimes it worked. But um, for me, that was the best way, and with Kinger, it just went long enough, and eventually I got my shot in, and you know, I, I, I took him down. but. You know, again, another, like, it's, it's, and I knew when I got older, like, you got to fight some of these young kids, because they, how older guys give you a chance when you're coming through. Now, I mentioned
0: him before, and you made, you had a reaction, like, oh, like, I think it's a reaction everyone has when I mentioned the name Ryan Vandebush, because of how tough he was, and uh, you had a really good fight with him this season, and I think total in your career, you fought him four or five times. Yeah. That guy's a handful. What's it like fighting uh, Vandy?
1: Yeah, you know what, for a little guy, he's got really long arms, you know, and um, he was relentless. Like, he, I I played, we played with each other for a couple years, and we never fought with each other after. So, before that, that man we fought, like, once a year for, like, four or five years, for sure. And long arms, um, swinging from the boots, he was trying to pick bricks up by his ankles to to put you down. And, you know, again, there was another situation with him that I felt if I could kind of just weather that first two or three hard punches he was throwing he would kind of, you know, just... It would give me a chance to get into the fight because I didn't throw hard enough that I could put a guy down in the first two punches, but if I could wear him down and get him tired, that's when I could kind of take over. Yeah. And so, if you you know, when I think back to those fights, the, the shorter ones are better for him and the longer ones are better for me. Yeah. Um, and we were both happy. When we went to Chicago, he was so happy. He's like... And so was I. I'm like, thank God we don't have to fight <laughs> each other. Anymore. And we still text all the time, too. Like, we talk a lot and uh, we laugh about it. But, you know, those are one of the things. Like, you... You, know, you kind of figure out you know different guys and the guys that you can fight and you know both of us knew we probably weren't gonna hurt get hurt much fighting each other so yeah you know it's a pretty good fight to take because uh, it was you know you get kind of get comfortable a little bit
0: I think as a defenseman um, and especially if you're in the Western conference you play the western teams more Eastern Conference obviously um, one guy it seemed like that you took some enjoyment maybe I don't know did you enjoy playing against Jeff Reason? It seemed like you enjoyed driving him crazy. <laughs> you know what?
1: He <laughs> he was so fast. I think I was just <laughs> trying to chirp him slow down. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was he was fast, and uh, you know I tried to for those really fast guys like him. I tried to get in their way and slow them down a bit, yeah. and you know, without taking penalty. it was tough because he was you know. People that saw him towards the end of the career might not know, but he was a super fast skater. Yeah. And, you know, trying to get his way to slow him down, and sometimes you had to be a little dirty to do that.
2: Um,
1: so we're an hour and 40 minutes in, and I'm
0: finally getting to the question. Do you remember your first NHL goal? Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah I do. It <laughs> took a long time. It took about, yeah, a long time. You know, it's funny. I, I You know, I've, I've shared this before, and my kids bug me all the time uh, about not scoring. I say, you know what, I, I didn't... Like I I am not gonna lie I like scoring goals but I I just it wasn't in me like it was I wasn't I'm not programmed to think I have to score all the time right I I wanted to be hard nosed and, and play good defense to like make other people not score that was kind of my joy so you know when I did finally get it though I remember I um, it was on I think Stefan set and I didn't even see the puck going in the net I just got and shot it from the slot the puck I think I caught it put it down and shot it in the net and um... I remember the guys came in the pile, Jovanovski and Bertuzzi, and I don't remember, I think it was Jovanovski's stick was so high, it hit Bertuzzi in the head, (laughs) cut him for stitches. So these two were arguing, and I was so happy. Like, I was like, yes, we scored. And then uh, I think it was a 1-1 tie, actually. Then after the game, um, the guys took me out for dinner. We went to, uh, there wasn't much open. I know it was in L.A., but we went to this uh, deli, and the guys bought me like a deli, like an (laughs) omelet for my big goal. I didn't care. I was so happy, like, you know, just scoring your first goal is fantastic, and you know you start to wonder if it's ever going to come. Well, hate some posts and stuff that finally goes in there, and you know, to do it in LA was pretty cool too, and it was a nice building. Well, I know you weren't programmed to score goals and
0: whatever else you say, yeah. but you have 13 more NHL goals than <laughs> probably 96 percent of human yeah. uh, human beings. So yeah. that's something to say, man.
1: 13 NHL goals <laughs> is nothing to sneeze at. So yeah, no, I know, I'm I'm proud of it, but like I said, yeah. I just you know, I never, like, I, I, I remember them Not I think I remember most of them at least and it's, you know, it just, it's cool and, you know, maybe I should try a little hard to score goals but I didn't really, I never really was, like, into it, you know, I never really it wasn't really my thing, so yeah. when it went in, it was great, but if I didn't, too bad uh, Next season there's one fight in
0: particular I want to ask you about it was a toe-to-toe beauty against one of my favorites, uh, Jimmy Cummins
1: of uh, Anaheim, you yeah. remember that one? Yeah, we had some good fights, Jimmy yeah. and I, and, um, you know, we got to know each other a little bit off the ice from, you know, we frequented the same establishments a couple times. Yeah. And, uh, but it was hard, like, you know, I really felt sometimes when the game wasn't started off well for our team that I had to do something to kind of get us going. Um, or if I didn't have it, I didn't really feel like I had to, that night to try to get my energy going, I'd go get in the fight. And Jimmy, we, we we would stand in there pretty well. And again, you know, he was a guy I wasn't too worried to be knocked out with, you know, like it wasn't like it was a Joey Coaster, so... I felt we could both stand in there, and I wasn't going to hurt him, that's for sure. So we could both hang in there and, and do kind of what we did, and look good, and people fired up, and, you know, it was, it was good. Like, there was really no, me, no ill will
0: in either, either yeah. of us, I think. It was fine. Well, definitely, if you haven't seen him, I would definitely, when you're looking at the Joel Terrio stuff on YouTube, I don't know if you've ever seen a couple of fights that uh, Jimmy had with Chris Murray, uh, but if you haven't oh, yeah. seen those, I would definitely look up those. Those were uh, fantastic. Um, the following season in Vancouver, so you played with Mess. He's a legend, but yeah. that season saw the return of a one of Van, a Vancouver legend, Canuck legend, Trevor Linden. So when Trevor Linden comes back, um, what, what's
1: that whole experience like throughout the organization? Well, I mean, he was a legend there, a complete legend, and so you know, they, 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 you know, Brian Burke did a hell of a job with that team. He, he built that thing up. You know, between the, the Sadins and. Um, you know, Mike team started with getting uh, McCabe and Bertuzzi uh, you know, some of these other trades that happened that brought guys in, it really helped um, it was huge, and you know, to get Trevor uh, Lennon to come home and, you know, maybe a different role than he was used to, he wasn't, you know, that top line player, but he was a guy that was well known in the community, a good leader and, uh, you know, I played with him a little bit on Long Island, so it was nice to know him there and then he comes there and go, joins this team I thought it was fantastic, you know, and and you could just tell that they're building something special there. Um, and that's why when you know when, when I left, late, what happened was Brian Burke came to me at the end of the year, my last year, and said, listen, we're not going to qualify you, but we'll re-sign you at whatever it was, like 500, um, and we want you back. If not, please go look somewhere else. Um, so you know, he gave me a week after free agency started because I wanted to sign someone else. So that's when I signed the Blackhawks, and I called him and said, listen, I, I'm moving on just to get more opportunities. like, I get it. And he goes, thanks for everything, and maybe we'll catch up with you down the road. I'm like, all right, and so it was hard to leave because I knew that team was going the right direction, uh, and unfortunately I was getting pushed out. But that's that's kind of the way it goes for a guy like me, right? You're a five, six, seven defenseman. Uh, you know, they're like, oh my God, we got to wrap up strutted for ten years. You know, you just kind of you deal with it and move on, and uh, move on to what you hope will be a better opportunity. Was Chicago the only team that
0: uh, was? I doubt they were the only team that was interested, but were no, they, they the, the, the team that showed the mm-hmm. most interest.
1: Um No, everyone's kind of the same. There's about four or five teams that all made me offers, and I was like, okay, hey, where can I go and play that's going to give me the best chance, um, you know, t- to play? And I'm not going to lie, I like City of Chicago, and I also like Brian Sutter. I yeah. thought, like, those are two things. Like, I think Brian Sutter, I was his type of player. Yeah. So, you know, it, it kind of comes down, and you go through with your agent trying to figure out where it's going to be the best opportunity. I went there, and, you know, it, it went, I thought it, it went okay. Those two years weren't great. Like, the team... Wasn't great, but it, it I'd say it was on oh, ice. It was okay. I met my wife there, which is really nice. Yeah. Uh, but it went okay. I'd say the the Blackhawks time was okay. Um, then we had the lockout, uh, but it, it was it was pretty good. Going to the Rangers was the best thing I could have done for sure. Uh, but the like for free agency decisions, at least up to that point. Uh, but then, uh, but the Chicago was okay. I wouldn't say it was good, it was okay. I think that
0: <clears throat> excuse me. I mean, everybody knows what your style is. But it yeah. seemed like when you played against Chicago, and maybe it was a product of your style against the style that they played, you were always in the middle of something. So it obviously, you obviously showed what you could do against Chicago.
1: So do you think that had something to do with their interest? Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I knew it for sure. Like I, you know, I, I, when I was playing, there was teams that were gonna be more physical than others, and I knew the Knights, if it, when there was gonna be a physical team, if I didn't show up, that was a big problem because the Knights it was really skilled games and I was playing like that wasn't really my cup of tea so I had to find a way to contribute on the Knights it was built for me so you know I'm looking at the Philadelphia Flyers I'm looking at the Boston Bruins Chicago Blackhawks these teams that wanted to play physical I'm like yeah let's do this like and I'm not just talking fighting I'm talking embracing the physical play right mm-hmm. and you have to, you have to if I didn't show up in those games and I wasn't a, you know wasn't going to kill it in the skill games you know what, what was I doing out there so um, I think that over my career, the thing I try to do was to give an honest effort every night. I try to be uh, as good defensively, uh, move the puck as well as I could, and be physical every single night and hard to play against every night. I didn't care if it was Brendan Shanahan or if it was Paul Correa or whoever. I try to be the same to every single player that I played against. And uh, so other people were like, you know what, this guy gives an honest effort. You, know, you can you can say what you want about his skills, but he's giving us an honest effort. I never... I can tell you, of all my games, I never felt once I cheated the effort.
2: Yeah,
0: no, and for all the games that I've seen you play, and I'm not you know, I'm not pumping your tires here. I mean, yeah. it was, I always got my money's worth. I don't ever feel like you cheated me. Although, that being said, I didn't see you play in those playoff games in Syracuse. So maybe if I, maybe <laughs> yeah. if I did, I'd feel <laughs> differently. But other than that, no, definitely yeah. the effort was always there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when you got to Chicago, you played with a couple of guys who, uh, I mean, I, I think half the team you played with in Chicago I was a fan of. Uh, but two in particular, I'd like to get your opinion on. Uh, obviously, one I have to ask
1: you about is Chris Simon. Yeah, Simon was amazing. You know, he he um, he was so tough, and you know he didn't fight a lot those two or that, that year in Chicago or whatever year and a half, whatever it was. He, um, I think he had a bad shoulder at that time. Yeah. But um, he was tough, and he's another guy to be like, hey, if there's a problem, with this guy you deal with it. And then I knew that he got he took the other guys right. There's a problem, but his relationship or his reputation was such that. No one really wanted to fight him, yeah. so I found even the big guys kind of dialed it down a bit. You, if he wasn't at his best, you know he was a true killer. Yeah. Um, but as far as a guy, like he was great. He, his wife and family lived in a different uh, lived in Washington when he got traded, so we hung out a, a lot. Like we go for dinners and go to movies and stuff. And you know, I remember watching this on TV, like just scoring all these goals and murdering all these guys. Yeah. And we're going to watch meet the parents. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like it was just crazy. It's like, what are we doing? Like it's so crazy, but. He was an unbelievable guy. And, um, you know, he he was one of those guys that I... I, You know, what you see on the ice does not match match at all the human he is. Yeah. And,
0: I mean, it's funny when... uh, I mean, I've spoken to him a million times. And uh, when you first meet him, like you say, what you see on the ice... And, and I mean, you're obviously a a player. I've been a fan for a long time. And I've I've met a lot of guys who've done that job. And 99% of them, what you see on the ice is not what you get in the locker room. But with him... With him, he's just such. His presence is—he's an intimidating presence, and then he has that soft voice. But it's like a, yeah. if if a soft voice could be authoritative, that's yeah. him. You know. So, uh, but no, I, I love I love the guy. I'm glad uh, I'm glad he has the Islanders on the back of his hockey card, even if it was only for a short time. The other guy I want to ask you about is another guy that I'm a huge, huge fan of, and I'm so happy that he ended up with two Stanley Cup rings is Sean Thornton. Yeah, Thornton,
1: what a guy. Yeah. You know, talk about a guy that paid his dues, like, he, he put in, what is it, six, seven years in the minors before yeah. he got a real NHL r- run with us in Chicago, and I love that guy. And he did everything. Like, when I talk about a guy paying his dues, putting the work in, being a good human being, good teammate, understanding his role, like, all those things, he did all of that. And he was a bully on the ice, like, let's be honest, that's what he was. That that was his, his swagger, that's how he got into the NHL. So, I mean, he did a great job, he understood it, he was smart. You know, a lot of times people think that the, the fighters are the dumb ones. They're often the smartest ones because they know they, they study, they understand how they fit in, um, they said how it had all, all meshes, it all adds up. So, you know, he was he is an amazing guy, and uh, well, all the stuff that's happened to him and is still happening, he more than deserves it because that guy was like Annie Dufresne from Shawshank. He yeah. crawled through like ten miles of shit mm-hmm. fighting. You look at all his fights in the minors; like it wasn't two or three a year. It was like 20, 30 a year. That guy. Yeah.
0: Crazy. No, I was fortunate because before Thordy got there um, in Norfolk, uh, Aaron Downey had introduced me to Al yeah. McIsaac, So uh, every year when uh, Norfolk would come to Philly in the end of the year or the beginning of the next year, uh, Al would bring me all the uh, tapes from uh, the year before, and yeah. I was able to put together the uh, the Norfolk tape. So, uh, so yeah. I, I mean, I got to see pretty much everything Thordy did in the minors uh, from those tapes, and then when he yeah. played in the NHL. So uh, no, Thordy is is amazing. He's just a great kid and. Uh, and like you said, I'm really happy for him. He's doing well in Florida now, so, you know, really yeah. good for him. Um, in a game against Boston, you had a, a two-fight game against Christoph Oliwa. And yeah. it seemed like after that first fight, you made him really
1: mad. Yeah, I did, because I beat him. And I don't <laughs> think you expected that. You know, like, and and he was pissed. I remember fighting, I'm like, okay, hey, this, this is going really well. Like, I'm going to beat this guy. And I put him down. Uh, no, I didn't like knock him up. But yeah, I, you know, I won the fight. That's clear. Then he's losing his mind in the box, like we're going again. We're <laughs> gonna kick. Her. I'm like, what is your problem, man? Like, let's just play a game out here. So then we fought again the second time. Like, yeah, no, I'm not gonna be open up too much. And I think I I took him down, like body slammed or whatever, took him down. I was like, I'm done. Um, but because he was, this guy loved to fight. Yeah. He, he he was all about the fighting. There were there, I don't think he really saw the puck too much. But you know he had an impact uh, on the game in a big way, and you know that was one that was pretty far out of my comfort zone. He was a good fighter, and he was strong, and, uh, and I'm actually surprised I won that one. If I'm being honest, I I, I honestly thought I was going to get beat up, and i was like, okay, good. Uh, but you know I beat him, and I knew he wanted to fight again, so he fight the guy again. But yeah. you know on my terms. I'm just because I be, yeah, beat you once doesn't mean I'm going to let you beat me beat me the second time, right? Like that's the kind of the way it goes in in, in my book. I,
0: I think that year you also had um, two fights against another guy who I'm sure you consider a legend because I consider him a legend Um, and good for him he just won the Stanley
1: Cup last year as a coach is Craig Berube yeah yeah yeah. you know what I remember watching this guy play when I was like five or something (laughs) like I remember flying around and so I wanted to see what he was all about I'm like yeah let's do this old man and um, you know he, he was a good fighter but you know for some reason um you know it's it's weird to see but sometimes you fight a guy and you're like man i really matched up well with that guy yeah. and i felt like with him i did match match up well i don't really remember him really hitting me at all um no i don't know how much damage i did on him either but like i just remember thinking this this is a good matchup so we fought yeah i think once or twice maybe three times in my career and um you know it was like yeah no problem like and you know, he had a big reputation, but once you get in there and mix up with the guy, you kind of realize that maybe, you know, maybe you're, you're becoming into that same level as he is.
0: Now, um, the following year in Chicago, you played with someone. Uh, now, over the years, I've met a ton of guys, and, and for the most part, everyone I met plays physical, does the role, and everyone is, a, you know, character and good spirits. But I always point out there's three players that I have never seen without a smile on their face. No matter what they're doing... Smile, smile, smile. And one of those guys is the guy you played with in 0 3 and Travis Mullen. Am I right about that?
1: <laughs> yeah, he was a beauty. Right? Yeah. This guy, you know, he came up, and I, I knew he was going to be in NHL for a long time because of his work ethic, and, you know, he was wired a bit like I was. Not that that makes him a great player, but <laughs> um, he just, um, you know, he just would do anything to help the team. You know, whatever you needed. Like, you needed me to forecheck, hit, kill a penalty, get in the fight, sit out, whatever. Like, he just got it, you know, and, and you can see that, you know, sometimes players come up and they don't get it, and they think, I'm this. This is what I am, and that's all. But, you know, sometimes just because you were scoring the minors or, or you did this in junior, it doesn't mean it to be like the NHL. Like, you've got to figure out a way to contribute, and Travis Simone figured it out, right? You fast-forward to his time in Anaheim mm-hmm. with him, Sammy Paulson, and Rob Neumar on the line, and they just tore that they tore the league up, you know, as a, as a quasi-checking little bit scoring line, Right. Um, So, yeah, Travis Mullen, I I loved that guy. I I knew, you know, he was was such an effective player. Um, Not elite player, but effective player. You can still be an elite, effective player, if that makes sense.
0: Now, I alluded to it earlier, uh, and I don't know if I did it uh, once I started recording or or before that, but uh, the last time we actually were together was in uh, 2005 when I had my old website that we got together for uh, at... um, Jamba Juice. I'd never even heard of Jamba Juice in the city before. It. He said, oh, meet me at Jamba Juice. And I yeah. actually found, I fa- I, believe it or not, it's probably because I don't throw anything away. I'm sure my wife will agree with that. Um, I found the list of questions I made for that interview. And one question that jumped out at me, and I don't remember your answer, and, and the interview isn't online anymore. Did you tell the Chicago Internet Journal that Hoosiers
1: is a better movie than Slapshot? Oh, I think it is. Yeah, I do think it is. You know, I don't I don't remember if I said that to them, but I do. Hoosiers is probably in my top three favorite movies of all time. Like, I love basketball. Now, I don't necessarily love the NBA. Like, I like the NBA, but I love basketball. Like, I've got a hoop in my front yard, and I, I try to get my kids to go play all the time. And they're like, come on, Dad, let's play hockey. I'm like, oh, come on, let's go play basketball. Like, I love basketball. I don't know what it is. And You know, I, I played in high school. I played in junior high, and I just love the game. I love the... The freedom, that you know, trying to run plays, set picks, all that—I love all that stuff. So, I remember the first time I saw Hoosiers, I just—I fell in love with the movie. Like, I know most of the lines off of that. Jimmy Chitwood is like a favorite actor of mine, even though he never did anything else. Like, I love the whole thing. So, yeah, I did. I like Slapshot. Don't get me wrong, but inspir- Slapshot doesn't inspire me to do anything except maybe go have a couple beers. <laughs> Whereas Hoosiers wanted, made me want to be a better hockey player. Like, it made me want to be a better athlete. Right. And try harder, and listen better, be a better teammate, and just like Rocky Ford, like Rocky Ford had a huge impact on my life, and not the fighting part, but if you remember when he goes and trains in Russia, mm-hmm. like how he just loses himself, and he's you know he's just got to become a piece of iron, like that inspired me too. Like that's how guys are working out. Like I got to get into that mode, right? And so it's funny how you you, know, you take pieces of, of movies even at times to to inspire yourself to take yourself to another level. Rocky IV could have been my
0: favorite Rocky movie, except for the end. Because in, yeah. on no planet was that ending ever happening in the yeah. world at that time. It wasn't going to be a boxing match that made all the Russian people like an American. Because in real life, they would have killed the American boxer. After the fight in the back of the arena, they would have put a bullet in his head. Other, up until the end, I love that yeah. movie. But the yeah. end the end killed it for me so Rocky 3 which is actually my favorite
1: Rocky movie is, uh, is safe yeah that's, that's a good one too that's yeah. a good one too I can't, after the 4 I don't get too excited yeah uh, although the Creed cool ones are pretty good
2: they the are three good one,
1: three 2 I think that's when he fights Drago's son I like that I felt so bad for Drago yeah. in that movie but uh, I mean I watch them I'll, I'll watch them until the day I die like, that's not, but who's yours man it's, it's probably above Rocky 4 I love Rocky 4 alright
0: Well, and no, nobody is watching Rocky 5 the worst.
1: <laughs> no, I hear it. I hear it. <laughs> so, um, how did you end up signing with the Rangers? Um, you know what? It was pretty simple. Like after um, after my year in Chicago, uh, you know, there was a lot of change going on there. You know, whatever. And uh, I, I I get it. So again, I go out to the market, and there's quite a you know well, quite a few teams, like three or four or five teams are interested. And um, I just, to be honest, I want to try out Glenn Seder. Uh I'm not going. I want to try out living in New York. And I wanted to, you know, I trusted Glenn Sather and what he said. And um, he said, like, we want to have a new attitude here, we need good leaders, uh, we need guys like you in the dress room and, and who are you going to play, you know, kind of that five-six role. And then I'm like, okay, so let's sign up. So I signed a two-year contract. The first year it gets burned in a in a lockout. And then uh, I show up the next year, and I'm like, yeah, let's do this with so Jaromir Jager and Marty Straka. We had half of Team Czechoslovakian in our team. And um, it ended up being one of my favorite teams because we were a, a – a group of misfits uh, and young players that came together and created something amazing, which was a playoff run. Before you
0: actually played for the Rangers, because you mentioned the lockout, how did you end up in Hungary? Did it was uh, I know you said the Niedermeyers are your cousins. Was Rob Niedermeyer there before
1: you? Did he bring there, or did you guys decide to go together? How did that work out? Yeah, so the summer of the lockout, uh, you know, we, we Rob and I would we try to see each other as much as we can, and we were swimming in a lake together. And he looks over, he's like, um, you know, what are you gonna do when the lockout happens? I'm like, you know, I am thinking, I'm, I'm gonna ride it out until Christmas, but I wanna go play somewhere after Christmas. He's like, if you find a place, I will come with you. I'm like, all right, man. So we had this NHLPA website, and uh, after Christmas, I was looking on the website, and all of a sudden, this thing is there, uh, you know, interest in playing in Hungary. Click on this, so I clicked on it. And this team was looking for a or d So I called the number, and they had an agent, not an agent, but like kind of a con- contact in, uh, in North America. Uh, I think he was in Toronto, and I called him, and said, "Hey, man, my cousin Rob and I would be interested in coming. What's the deal?" So he explained it. Um, I'm like, "Okay, let me call you back." So I called my cousin. He's like, "I'm down." So like a week later, we're in the flight. We're on a flight to Budapest, Hungary, and um, we loved it. We we stayed at this. They they didn't really pay us much money, but they gave us three different restaurants so we can eat at any time. We had a hotel in the car, and it was an unbelievable experience, man. Like one of my funnest hockey. Hockey memories ever was uh, playing hungry with my cousin for two months.
2: Nice,
0: nice. So uh, you go back to the Rangers. Um, you end up playing 65 games, and that preseason, you had a pretty good fight against the guy that later became your teammate, and you alluded to him earlier. I mean, the guy is just—he's one of the tougher
1: guys uh, in the league for the time that he played. Was Colt Nor? Yeah, you know what i didn't know who he was like i i just saw him out there and he ran my teammates so i just went over and fought him and, and i had honestly a really good fight against him yeah and um they the after games like guys like what are you doing why are you fighting that guy I'm like what are you talking about and they show me the video i think he broke like belac's orbital bone. that that uh, <laughs> that trip i'm like holy shit! what was i thinking you know and um it was crazy so anyways or he comes over he we pick him up i think he went on waivers and we picked him up on waivers and um and he comes over. and The first thing he's like, "I hate you." I'm like, "Why?" He's like, "The only guy that beat me." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" He's and he's like, "You haven't you seen my fight." So we went and watched him. I'm like, "Oh my god, this is crazy." He's like, "We got to fight again." I'm like, "I'm not fighting you again." You're, if I would have known you're like this, I want to fight you the first time. And so we end up uh, we end up being really good buddies. And um, but he he was tough, really tough. But that was honestly one of my best fights I ever had because considering how tough he was, yeah, um, I really i. It was a really technical fight I, and I, he 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 had no left so i didn't know that before but once i got his right out he was he had no chance and um yeah it was a good fight you had a good fight to start the season the preseason against colt Nor, and you had
0: a really good fight at the end of the season against another guy from boston and uh, dan lakator you
1: remember that one yeah I do, yeah, you know, it's a pretty big rivalry in New York and Boston, and, yeah. you know, our team there in New York, we really wanted to have, um, I wanted the team to be close, right, and show guys you stick up for each other, and, um, you know, I'm not going to lie, fights were getting hard to come by, even that first year, because of the way the league was going, so when there was an opportunity, um, I was like, let's do this, so I, I just, I thought it was a good opportunity to kind of send a message and uh, you know, do what you can. And in between those two fights... We have
0: to talk about the shootout against Washington. Yeah. So um, I know you were the—I mean, you were the story before uh, Marek Malik stole your thunder. But before—I mean, tell me about that whole thing. Have you ever been in a shootout yeah. before? You ended up being the 14th round. Tell me about that whole situation.
1: Yeah, so I never was in a shootout before, and I haven't been one after. And, uh, you know, generally speaking, once a shootout would start out, literally, I'm not even kidding, I'd lose my skates, because I'm like, I'm done. Like, there's no way they're going to get up to me. And then, you know, you get through the top three, then you get to the next six, and it's still tied to nine, you're like, holy shit. Because what happens is the goalies are still good, but the players are getting worse, you know? Otherwise, they'd be going before. They don't don't save a good shooter for number 10, you know? It's not like uh, relievers. So, um you know, we're, we're going through and I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to have to do, do my, so I do my skates back up, and then it gets down to uh, their guy scores, this Brian Muir, and um, there's myself, Casperitis, Merrick Malik, and then Fedora Toon had broken his finger in the third period, and um, and uh, I remember Tom Rennie looking down the bench, and it's like in school, I don't want anyone to see you, right, he's like, Strady, you're up, I i not like, I pretend I didn't hear him, he's like, you're up, he's side so I'm like, oh, I look over and he kind of just shrugs his shoulders, and I'm like, oh, fuck. So I jump over the bench and I'm shitting my pants. Like, you know, they've already scored. My teammates are probably right back in the dressing room. And I um, I get up there and I'm swinging my stick around like an idiot, trying to look cool. And I'm like, I'm going to shoot it over his shoulder, which was a bad idea. And I go down and I kind of fan on it. It goes underneath his arm. And I remember feeling so happy and, and more relieved than anything that I scored. And my teammates are going crazy because <laughs> they're like, there's no way this idiot's going to score. and <laughs> I am scoring, you know, and then, the guy doesn't score, the American League goes and does what he does between the legs, and it was like pandemonium. But that was our group. Like, you know, here are two guys that are probably the least likely to score goals on the ice that that night, and we end up scoring the two biggest goals of the game to, to get a point against Washington, or two points, I guess you want to call it. And uh, it was just amazing. But I loved that team. When I talked to other guys that played, they, they all talk about how they just love being a part of that team. So I uh, mentioned... Darius Kasparaitis, and I
0: think you yeah, had played with him a little bit with the Islanders, and now you're back yeah. with him uh, with the Rangers. Now, I love Darius, and, and uh, I think the only thing that I love more than Darius is asking his ex-teammates if they have a really good Darius Kasparaitis story they
1: could share. Uh, he he, you know, he told me one, when he was a rookie, he came over from, uh, where was he, uh, not Kazakhstan, but like, uh, Lithuania. Uh, Lithuania. Lithuania, so he couldn't speak English. So he said the first time he went out for dinner, he looks at the the menu, and it's uh, like he couldn't read English. He had no idea what was going on. So all his teammates are ordering stuff, and one of his teammates yells, uh, "Calamari, calamari!" And that's he goes, "All I heard was calamari." So when the guy came around to me, he's like, "A calamari, calamari!" You know how he talks. <laughs> yeah. So he orders calamari, and he had no idea what it was. He's like, "I didn't want to look like an idiot, so I just ordered calamari." <laughs> So the food comes out, and it turns out he loves calamari. So for the like for the next like however many nights and days, every time if we go out for dinner, he'd order calamari. So he goes that year. I put on like twenty pounds, fifteen pounds because I was eating so much calamari for lunch and supper because I didn't want to be the idiot that didn't know how to say anything else. So he just laughs about it all the time. But like, this guy Casper is one of the funnest guys. Like I, I love this guy. I absolutely love this guy. And I was lucky enough to play it them two times, but just a great human. Yeah, I love him. I love him. He's you know I always am geared more towards
0: North American players, but I, I love Darius. I mean he was uh, he was so yeah. much fun while he was here, not just uh, driving in the parking lot. You know everything else he was uh, yeah. he was always fun. Uh,
2: yeah.
0: What's a worse jersey? The Islanders Fisherman jersey or the Rangers Liberty jersey? Oh, that's my favorite one. I love the Rangers Liberty jersey. I talk about that one all the time. I like the jersey. But what I've noticed is a lot of Ranger
1: fans don't really like that jersey. Wow. Look, well, that's well, that's fair. I mean, you know more than I do. But I, the, the 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 highliner jersey is awful. I remember getting abused every yeah. time we had it on there. I was like, why are you guys yelling at me? I'm just trying to make the team here, man. Just go <laughs> yell at Pat Flatley like he's been around. Longer. Like, leave me alone. But yeah, that that highliner jersey is awful. Like, it was an awful jersey um but you know i think if you're all-time worst jerseys i go up the calgary flames horsehead that is a nightmare that jersey an absolute nightmare
0: i i'm gonna still say the the fisherman jerseys worse than that yeah probably they're probably right <laughs> and uh, and you want to know what's even sadder is that they're trying to bring that thing back not for the players but the marketing department they are shoving yeah. that logo down the fans throats now if you're a younger fan that you didn't during that period, you yep. have no idea, and you're just like, yep. oh, that's a cool logo, because you weren't around when they were winning cups, yep. and you weren't around to know, you know, like uh, the one thing about hockey and, and hockey fans, I, I think we're a passionate bunch, and the Islander logo means something to someone like my age, or you know, yep. Uh, yep. you know, fans of a certain age, that logo means something, and yep. to get rid of that logo for the Fisherman logo, and now you get all these hipsters that were in the going to Brooklyn at the games, and. Yeah. people are wearing it, and I'm going, what are you doing? Like, it, But it, it, it actually it sells pretty
1: well, believe it or not.
0: And it, it, yeah. I just find that so disturbing.
1: Yeah, no, I, I can believe that. I can believe that because they have, they have no attachment to it, right? No, no. negative. There's no negative commentations to them.
2: Oh.
1: But it, it's a god-awful jersey. I don't think I have. I don't even have one. Even sometimes people show me pictures of me in it, and I'm like, oof, my God. <laughs> well, that is a good combo because
0: you have the ugly uniform and baby face struts
1: yeah oh, i know that was a yeah chubby little face there uh, a lot of baby fat on that kid <laughs> well well at least
0: you lost it some of us keep the baby fat even <laughs> when we're almost 50. Uh, what happened yeah. in 2006 um, 07 so you were still you said you signed a two-year deal with them you, you played the yeah. year in us uh, in lugano
1: yeah so so right up before the lockout i signed two year deal. so the first year got wiped out Oh right. so okay. now i had the second year deal so i played in new york and then uh, Glenn Sader said, No, we're good. Uh, we're gonna go in a different direction. And some other teams were really interested, including the Islanders. And I had a deal agreed to with the Islanders. Oh wow and then Neil Smith got fired. And uh, my buddy Garceneau came in and my agent called and said and Garcino said, No, you know, we don't wanna we don't wanna sign him and that was fine, like whatever, like that's I get it. But the problem is that every other team that had been interested had already got their Jason Strudwick. So now I had not and uh, I was in a really bad spot, so um, my agent's like, oh, you might have to think about quitting. I'm like, quitting? Fuck, I just had a two-year deal on the table for the most money i would ever made, and now I've got nothing? And so I'm like, find me something. So he got me a deal in Lugano, Switzerland, and it was unreal. i just got married that summer, so it was like a year of honeymoon. And we go out there and had an unbelievable year. Like, we had a great time. Um, you know, we had. I, I, and the nice thing was that it was honestly like a hockey camp for me for a year. Um, we had skilled practices all the time. So I felt like when I came back, I was a better player than I went when I left as far as handling the puck and making plays. And it kind of got my mojo, you know what I mean, a little mm-hmm. bit. Like the coach like, make hey, plays, skate, jump up in the play. Like don't just be an NHL State home defenseman. So I got my mojo back, and it was fun. It was like I really enjoyed it. And then uh, at the end of the year, I was flying, through the, flying from uh, Lugano back to um, – I was in Toronto and then flying to, Cal- to Edmonton home. And I was in the airport in Toronto, and uh, all of a sudden you're paging Jason Strudwick. and I'm like, "What's going?" On? I was having a couple of beers, right? And um, I go and answer the phone, and it's my agent. He's like, uh, uh, that I just talked to Glenn there, They have a lot of injuries. They're wondering if you can come back and play with them uh, for the next for the next 11 games in the regular season." Because I couldn't play, I'd sign after the trade deadline. I couldn't play in the playoffs, but can you just come with them? I'm like, "You better believe it." So I flew all the way home to Edmonton. And I got home at like one in the morning. My wife picked me up. I, I dropped all my Lugano stuff off, all my stuff. Picked all my Ranger gear up, and I was on the plane the next morning, like eight in the morning, huh. and I flew all the way to Atlanta, and I got there, and I played the next day. I was so happy to see the guys like Lundy Lund, Lundquist and um, you know Danny G and uh, all those guys Yogs, and I played like I think ten of the last eleven games or nine of the last ten or whatever, and then um, and then they they said, yeah, you know what, can you stay around? I'm like, let me get this straight. You're gonna have me, you're gonna pay for me to be in a place, and give me food money to live in New York City for two, you know, for hopefully more than one round, it was ended up being two rounds, and uh, just practice with teams. Like, that's exactly what you want. So I was like, yeah, I can make that work. So <laughs> no problem. So I stayed around for two, 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 <laughs> two playoff rounds. I, I just practiced. I worked out. Then at night, when I went and had friends, my bodies, whatever. It was unbelievable. It was like the best season tickets I could ever got. <laughs> And then they must have liked what they saw because she, they signed you for one more year, I guess. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Glenn did. Glenn. Glenn got it done. Yeah. I, you know, he's a funny negotiator, right? But yeah, I, 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 that's where I wanted. It. That's where my heart was.
2: Yeah.
1: And I signed there again for that year, and then, um, and then he said, "This is really it. We're moving on." Yeah. And, um, you know, after that, you know, I was okay. Where am I going to go now? And maybe I was looking towards going back to Europe because I love the European experience. Mm-hmm. And the luck would have it, uh, the owners want to sign me, mm-hmm. and they signed me three one-year deals. And to come home and to play at home, like in front of all my family and friends uh, for three seasons, even though we weren't the best team, like it meant so much. Like it just, I couldn't have wrapped up my career in a better way than I guess unless we went to Stanley like, Cup with the Oilers. So I just, I was so thankful for that time here with Edmonton and, um, you know, for the organization that brought me in. And it was, it was amazing.
0: So before we get to Edmonton, i got to ask you two things. One, probably the best fight you had um, in that season, uh, you had a slugfest with Chris
1: Neal in Ottawa. Do you remember that one? Yeah, yeah Chris Neal ran uh, Sean Avery and hurt his shoulder. And you know, I never fought Neal up to that point. I always wanted to, um, just to see, what, because he was a tough guy. And just again, see we stack up, right? Yeah. And um, so he, he knew it was coming. Like He had run Avery, and I had talked to him about it already. And so we went out. It. it was a good fight, like a really even fight, and we both caught each other, and uh, you know, my message was sent, and his was sent as well, so I thought it was, it was, a, it was a really, like, probably one of my proudest fights, not in what I did to him, but just the reason why, and, and how it worked out for both of us. What the... What's your opinion on Sean Avery? Uh, I've got a lot of time for him. I've never seen a, a non-star player affect a game as much as he did. Yeah. Um, the way he he get, like, the New Jersey Devils, it was mind-blowing.
2: Like, mm-hmm.
1: I, I've never seen a team get more distracted than him. Like, even Zach Cousy, who I love as a player, and I love playing against him, not that I would dominate him, but just because he was such a competitor. Yeah. Even he would get wrapped up. Gianta, um, you know, they'd, they'd all... Marty Broger would go nuts chasing this mm-hmm. guy around and make the game so easy for the rest of us, like... You'd get the puck, and everyone would be looking at Avery, not at you. Like, Mm -hmm. it was was ridiculous. So the impact he had on his team was crazy. Um, You know, I think that he he had his his way of doing things, and I didn't always agree with that. But if you ask me if I want him on my team, you better believe it. When he was, like, those peak years, he was unreal. His impact on teams was... I've I've never seen, like I say, a non-star player impacted each game more than Sean Avery did.
0: Yeah, no, it's hard to argue that, definitely. And like I say, especially... To uh, support your argument, to bring up the, the devils. I mean Jesus. I mean, oh. they, he was in all of their heads. It was unbelievable. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So, um, as someone who's been on both sides of the rivalry, can you can you talk about um, being an Islander in the Islander Ranger rivalry and then being a Ranger in
1: the rivalry? Well, also you have to understand where I'm coming from by ages. You know, yeah. like, as a, as a young man, I was just trying to make the team, and then with the Rangers, I was very clear who I was, and I think I was established as an NHL player. Yeah. Um, you know, my Talent downers um, you know, very proud organization, you know, very proud of what had happened, and really trying to find their way. And when I was there, unfortunately, we still didn't find our way. You know, we weren't, we weren't able to get on track, and I was only there on the team for, like, two or three months, so take that for what it's worth. Yeah. Whereas on the Rangers, somewhat similar. A team that had some success in, in the early nineties, but then it kind of, you know, tried to buy teams and lost its way and then now had found an identity or at least knew how they wanted to grow the team underneath Tom Brady and Glenn Sather. And I felt like we were right at the beginning of that start. So, you know, when you think I think from the time I arrived there until just a couple of years ago, they hadn't missed the playoffs, I don't think. Yeah. Like they had a long playoff run. So a team that did it right, yeah. you know, as far as treat, the way they drafted. Uh, Developed their players, the coaching staff, all that stuff. It, they got it all right, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I think very similar organizations competing in a really tough market for attention and fan base. So I think you know, I hate to say it's both fan base, but you're very similar in that way. That and passionate. Like both both fan bases give it to you when you're not doing well, and when you're doing well, they just love you. Yeah. And I think that the Rangers fans, as much as Islanders fans, appreciate hard work. You know, so. You know, you may wear different jerseys, and even though the colors are kind of similar, I think the both, phone band base, both fan bases are in many ways quite similar what they expect from their players. And I like that. Like I, you know, if, if someone say hey, can you come back and play now for either team? I would, because I understand. I like the New York ma- mentality. They want effort. And if you're giving effort and they don't win, okay, we can live that. But if they feel like you're not giving the effort or they're bringing your best to every night, like they're gonna boo you. Like I remember I went to the Yankees games a bunch of times. And A-Rod was having an amazing year. And they would boo him off, boo him, like right out of the batter's box when he wasn't batting well. And this guy was like, he was having amazing seasons. And I'm like, you know, now there's probably other things behind that. But yeah. that's New York. Like, you got to deliver every night. It's not every mm-hmm. third night, not every 80%, every night. And I that's how I, I was born and that's how I was raised. And so I, I felt like I could live in those, you know, one of those environments.
0: Well, we're, we're always happy to have you back here. Uh, if things don't work out in Edmonton, you have a spot yeah. here on the yeah. island, no problem, any time. Nice. Um, nice. So we'll get to your Edmonton days. Uh, two fights that you had in 08-09 that you did really well. In. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it was your first fight with the Oilers was against Cody McCormick uh, in Colorado. or it went, He was with Colorado. Uh, do yeah. you remember that one?
1: I do, yeah, I know it. I always like to get in fights early in the season, just to get it going, so my teammates know like, hey, I'm going to be there. And uh, we were having a tough night against Colorado, and Cody was a guy that, you know, he was, I, I knew he'd fight. And so I went, I, I ran him, I, I think I ran him, or something happened, and we just went at it. And I just wanted to set that, I just felt it was always important for my teammates to know, and for me to know that like, I was into this year. You know, like I, I didn't want to get to Christmas with little fights. And again, as I got older, it was hard because there was fewer and fewer guys to fight, but that to me was really important, and uh, unfortunately, Cody just kind of got in the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone else who got in the way, and you did a you did
0: a good job with them, and I was happy to see it. Um, Dan Carcillo was with Phoenix at the time, and uh, he uh, exhibited some of that mean hockey culture he speaks about uh, on Zach Stortini, and you stepped in and uh, did very well against him.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, you know, Carcillo was tough. Like yeah. tough for tough, but again, a pretty small guy, so you're not too worried about getting hurt, um, you know. But he he was he is a tough guy. Like he got in there and really dusted things up, and um, you know, I actually I've got a lot of time for the type of player he was because yeah. he he for a little guy, he was like a Wolverine, you know, mm. and um, he got a lot out of that 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 body, that frame, and um, you know, now he's 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 in a he's in a different place and yeah. pretty vocal and. I think he, he's for some things that make a lot of sense, and you know, I, I, I you know, it's, you know, I made my choice. You know, yeah. I knew what I was doing when I was fighting. Um, now, to be fair, I didn't fight three hundred times in NHL. I think I had like a hundred or something, and I was pretty smart about it. Like I said earlier, I wasn't trying to knock guys out, and I was, wasn't opening myself up to get knocked out. That was a conscious decision, but by doing what I did, it allowed me to play you know, nearly 700 NHL games and have an amazing life experience, right, that I yeah. will always remember. Um, and a lot of things I'm still getting now are because of what I did in the NHL, because I made those choices and I, it's carried me down to the media and other things I do. So I'm very thankful for my time in the NHL, so I, I would not be biting the hand that fed me for so long, yeah. but also my experience was very good, it was yeah. a very good one. So everyone's experiences are different, and they yeah. can all we all make our own choices, but Uh, I'm not about to bite the hand. that that was amazing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: I'll flip it around and talk about a guy I respect that you played with your first year, and that's big Steve
1: McIntyre. Oh, yeah. I've never met a bigger human than that. Um, (laughs) And he was like, he was so big and the nicest guy. But much like Brad May, when he got on the ice, like I did not want to be on the bad side. He, He was deadlift before games, like 225 pounds. And for me, like... I'm not going to suggest that it was really hard, but it wasn't super easy. He was he was picking up like it was a paperweight. Like, yeah. he was so strong. And when he and Bugard fight those two times in Madison Square Garden, I've never been more scared for two <laughs> human beings. Like, and I wasn't really like that. Normally I was like, you know what? These two guys decided they're going to fight, no problem. But both those guys wanted to kill the other guy. And uh, it was like two grizzly bears, you know, in, in mating season. Like, they were just... Oh, it was... I was... I was on the ice. And I was so scared. I, I, like, never felt that way about a fight, ever. Even when I was in. Yeah. No, I, well,
0: there was a two giant people, and they could yeah. do a world of hurt if they land one punch. And uh, I always liked McIntyre. I, I wish he had played a little earlier. Like, uh, I'd yeah. like to have seen him a little earlier going against, I don't want to say better competition, but, you know, maybe more frequent competition. But uh, that guy was a stone-cold killer. So, uh, you know, Ten it must years have been... earlier,
1: he would have played way longer. Because there was fighters every six, seven defenseman, and every left winger on the, and right winger on the fourth line was a fighter. Yeah. So he, except Detroit, he would have customers all day long. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, he was just a little bit too late for sure. Yeah.
0: So, uh, next season, there's two fights I want to ask you about. One is against the guy that everyone's familiar with now, uh, uh because of his podcast and that's Paul Bissonnette. And, uh, uh I think <laughs> it was a home game maybe for you, but, uh, while well, he was with Phoenix, you had a good fight against him.
1: Yeah, you know what? He actually—he really took it to me in that fight. He surprised me. I didn't expect that from him at all. I, I thought—I um, didn't think he was going to be as strong as he was, mm-hmm. and he really used his leverage well. Like he—he actually—I thought he—you know—I don't know if he manhandled me, but he definitely took it to me in that fight, um, and uh, it was—it was really unexpected. You know what? And i was just surprised. Him. Like, what? What is this guy? Why is this happening? No? <laughs> and it was pretty rare that I was caught off guard where I thought I was going to be. Manhandling someone like where I got out muscled, yeah. but for a guy that was, you know, he wasn't like 250 pounds. Like he, I don't know if he was 210, 215, but he um, he really did a good job. Um, you know, he didn't he didn't hurt me. But he definitely tossed me around. It was unexpected. Uh, and then uh, you finished the year.
0: Uh, just a, I wrote down here old school Donnybrook Brook against Brian Southerby of Dallas.
1: Ah, oh, yes, yeah, so, so that's and I are buddies. And he elbowed me, and he denies it, and I've had him on my radio show, and I've argued him with him for, like, years. So the shift before, I went to get the puck, and he elbowed me in the head, and I just snapped. And I, I'm I'm going to get you. I'm going to get So the next shift to go up there, I just chased him down. And I was so mad, and we were friends. Like, we have skating together with each other for, like, from 10 years before that, every summer. And I'm like, I'm going to get you, you asshole. And I just chased him down. So even now, if he was on this, he would still deny that he elbowed me. But we all know he did. He elbowed me in the head, and uh, and I, that's why I had to get him. It was nothing; there, it was pure anger, and I was going to get
0: that guy, and I did. I did get him. What well, <laughs> has he has he always been so dishonest? Because it was
1: obviously an elbow. Yeah, well, I, that's what I'm saying. He was the most dirty elbow, and he will not admit to it. And that's what bothers me. I'm like, you asshole! You know it was. Just admit it. Like it's times gone by, and we see each other. You know, probably once a year. I, we have a couple drinks. and I always bring it up. And he's like, I, it was not an elbow. Then his friends chime in and we get the video out and like, because he actually got the Dallas guy to cut the video out. And <laughs> he says, there's no, but I know, I know for a fact it was an elbow. Uh, it really, it's, so that's why. So that was like, it was just out of the blue. And that's one of those ones you kind of like, because you just snap and you just fight and it's on, then it's on, right? I think I think it
0: speaks volumes about you, the kindness of your heart, that you're still friends with someone who's such a dishonest person on the ice. <laughs> yeah, it's hard.
1: I don't trust him with my
0: wallet anymore. <laughs> So your final season, uh, and by the way, thank you for spending so much time with me. I, I've had so much fun going through your career. Um, final season, so you're an older guy now, and you're fighting a younger guy who's known for his stamina and his uh, fights that take forever. Uh, but you did pretty well against Cam
1: Jansen. Yeah, Cam. Yeah, he. Um, <laughs> you know, I was mad. I was mad at. I was looking for that one because we were losing, and um, the ship just before that, the face off in center. He had gone to assist on a goal, and as he went by, he kind of faked hitting, uh, faked hit my partner, uh-huh. and again, I just snapped. So I went up to our center and said, you better win this face-off, or I'm going to kill you. So he snapped it right back to me, holding on long enough so Jance has to come over, and then Jance we're going. And, you know, he was nice enough to take it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's a good, he, for a small guy, yeah. very smart fighter, uh, understands how to use his own body, you know, to, to his advantage. Um, but he, he was good. Yeah, and he, you know, he had a tremendous NHL career. Yeah. A lot of energy. But yeah, I was, that was one of the few ones I was really mad about. I was, I was mad about that fight.
0: And then your final fight was against uh, Derek Dorsett. And to me, um, it's a great example of, for a guy your size, the one thing that you always did, once you learned how to fight, I, I think you were smart about it, where uh, the way you would use your reach. and First of all, I think in, in the beginning of your career, you surprised a lot of guys with, that you were lefty. And then yep. just uh, the way you would uh you know position yourself uh where you you didn't give the guy you weren't like head on with your opponent where you gave him your whole body you turn to the side you'd use your right hand to you know give yourself some reach and i think that was a uh, you know a perfect example in that fight where why you had such success in your career because you're bigger bigger uh, taller anyway you know muscle mass whatever i'm not saying that but bigger than a lot of the guys that you fought you, you had a longer reach and you were smart about it uh the way that you went about it on the technical side
1: yeah in a perfect world when i fought someone i would i would line up and we'd start out maybe i just trained rights but then when he sold like i said at that first five to ten seconds i would cross grab him grab his right shoulder and then push him so now he would twist a little bit so his right hand was even that much further away from my face so if he wanted to give me short left jab that fine but i would kind of twist so that my my forearm was almost across his chest and his head would pop up right above my forearm and then i could just show throw left right across um and kind of twist him. and then he, he would be once i got into that position the guy was he was done like he he, he couldn't really hit me back right. yeah. so you could see guys that when i fight they they keep on turning so i couldn't get that grab mm. uh, but as soon as i kind of get that i always i said okay you want to throw rights no problem i'll stand in there and throw a trade the rights or left and then when I throw a punch, I would cross grab, grab his right shoulder, push him out, and then his left, and I just start throwing that. There's no way he could hold to my left arm then, and I would get it free. And um, that was my that was my technique. And you know what, the strength and length of the arms work really well. Now, you know, I don't know if I was going to pull that out on Donald Brashear, but you know, on those guys, I felt were my equals, or yeah. I, I was maybe a little bit better than fighter. I would definitely pull out, and I had a, it worked pretty. It actually, worked really well. Um, did
0: you have any opportunities to continue in the NHL after uh, that third season in
1: Edmonton, or was it your choice to go uh, to Sweden? Yeah, no, the NHL was done with me, and, uh, you know, it was probably long overdue. You yeah, know, the game got so fast, and, you know, I, I wasn't... I don't know if I got slower, I think the game just got faster. You know, I think that we were so hard on players that suggest oh, this guy got slowed down. I don't think they slow down. I think guys just get faster around him, and you look slower. So... You know, I went over to Europe and I, I loved it there and I honestly I'd still be playing in Europe. I love the European lifestyle. I, I love it all, but I kinda it was time to move on with hockey, to move off life. Uh, we were starting a young family. Um, you know, I had opportunities to go be coach. Uh, I was offered uh, three or four positions in the in the in the minors to be assistant coach and you know then you work you know, as kinda I'm assistant coach, then head coach and then assistant NHL and maybe head coach NHL if things work out perfectly. But um, yeah, I made the choice with such a young family i wanted to be with them and uh, you know I, I don't know if I would say this a regret of mine but I would have loved to be a, a coach a professional coach but my kids and family are above that so yeah. I made the choice personally that it wasn't going to work out uh, for me that way uh, and I, I'm happy you now I get to coach my own kids so they're all three playing hockey and I, I coach them um, as well as I can and it's it's i love it i absolutely love it
0: So after um, Sweden, you're retired, but then in uh, the 2016-17 season, you came out of retirement for one game and you became a Wolverine in the Adult Safe Hockey League, but you were more of a sniper then. You played one game, you had two (laughs) assists, number 97 for the Wolverines. How
1: did this come about? (laughs) Yeah, so I was doing a TV show at the time. It was kind of like Good Morning America, except it was at nighttime, right? It's called uh, Dinner Television and the producer on my team, they, they'd lost 25 games. They hadn't won a game yet. So they were like division-like M. It was god-awful. Like, And I go out there, and like, they're like, can you please come? I'm like, I don't really want to come play, they're like, please come. So I ended up going and playing with my, Brad Karp was his name, and he was an awful hockey player. And like, on the wall it said, if you didn't get any penalties, you'd get uh, a free play to nachos, like the whole team, at the end of the game. But I said at, at the first period, like, how are we doing? I'm like, guys, I'll tell you what, if we make one pass tape the tape, I'll buy everyone nachos. And, like, it was so bad. It was the worst hockey. But we we won in overtime, and you thought we won the Stanley Cups. Guys were out there <laughs> celebrating, hugging each other. Like, it was the funniest thing because they lost 25 games. <laughs> 25 games, God, they were awful, team. <laughs> but now, was there some discrepancy about
0: if you had actually scored any points in that game? I had heard some people said you had zero
1: points. I had seen that you had two assists. What was the story with that? Yeah, well, I didn't have two assists, but you get in that league, you get points for making passes. So <laughs> I was the only person who made two passes that game on both sides. It was such bad hockey. <laughs> so uh, no, my 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 guy Brad Carp, the producer, he he loved to chirp that guy, okay. uh, and so he, he was making fun of me. But I tell you what, he was he was god off. Like thank God he can talk because now he does his no own radio show in BC, but. God, he was a bad hockey player. Like, you <laughs> should just quit for two weeks and then just quit all after that. Just forget it. It
0: was awful. So I just have a few more uh, questions, post-hockey yeah. questions, if, uh, if that's okay. Um, yeah, yeah. You're the host of uh, the Jason Strudwick Show, or you were the
1: host of the Jason Strudwick Show. Uh, how did that become uh, a reality? Yeah, so when I was done playing, I got to be good friends with a couple of local cool. media guys here, and they invited me to come out once a week and do their show, Jason Greger, the Jason Greger Show. And um, so this is right after my time in Sweden. So that summer I did it. And then in the summer, uh, the big boss of TSN Radio here in Edmonton, and then uh, the guy, the Western director, took me for lunch and said, we'd like to offer your own show. I'm like, oh, great. Three hours. I'm like, what? I said, I've never done anything. No, it be fine. So I did three hours, 9 to 12 at night. And I had no idea what I was doing. But it was a good thing my producer had six months experience. So between us, we had six months experience for three nights three hours a night. And you know what? Looking back, it was so much fun. Like we had no idea what we were doing. I had no clue. I was god awful. But I got it going and I did it right. I did a good job. Uh, I improved the town over three years. Uh, and then I went to um, like I said, the dinner television. There was like uh, it was all there was like politics, women's issues, like kids issues. It was amazing. And I learned how to be a broadcaster. And then I returned back now, I'm back on T S N twelve sixty again. I'm the co host of the Jason Gregor show. So he's everyday from uh, 2 till 6 and I'm on every day with him from 3 to 5 so it's worked out really well like this media business I love the career I love it um, I love talking about I love telling stories like having old teammates on to talk about their perspectives or their their lives whatever and it's it's a lot of fun so it's yeah I'm, I'm pretty happy uh, with what I'm doing
0: well you just knocked off all uh, three of those uh, questions because I had a dinner television and I had the Jason Greger yeah. show so yeah. um,
1: tell me about uh, how you ended up on Battle of the Blades. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the big directors is here in Edmonton, and um, and he he was always pushing for me to do it. And I was like, I don't know, I don't know. And then I think that a guy maybe dropped out towards the end of August that one year, and they called me like, hey, can you do this? I'm like, you know what, I will. My kids at the time, I had, I think, uh, like two three-year-olds and a one-year-old. So I knew that they wouldn't remember, no, I'm gone. Like, I'd miss them, but they wouldn't even know so I went away. I ended up being away, I think, three, two or three months. And I ended up being the runner-up. And it was an amazing experience. Like, I would never do it again because it was, it was like, you're on the ice four or five hours a day uh, all week, and then you do your competitions in the weekend. That um, it was an amazing experience, and I, I loved it. Uh, you know, just getting out of your comfort zone, that's where I've grown the most. Every time I do something that's way out of my comfort zone, I become, like, a better version of myself, I guess. And um, my partner, Violetta, was incredible woman her husband was our coach um our our choreographer was uh amazing lady renee like i, I just love the whole thing so the whole the whole experience and getting back together with guys i played against or played with uh their other competitors was just amazing like i i can't have enough good things to say about it and i'm glad to see it's back again this past year uh you said you were the runner-up who won uh scott thorn so Scott Thorne was first, I was second, and then uh, Matthew Danilo was third. But if you look at it, like, it was all the guys that were kind of, like, <clears throat> most recent players, mm. and the guys in best shape did the best, because it was really physical. Like, it, it it was, I was only two or three years out of playing, and I, I was, like, I was still in good shape. And it was it was hard, like, it was demanding, because you're lifting these little uh, dancers over your head or throwing them or whatever, right? It's, It's a lot of work. It's not... And if you don't put the work in, you get kicked out right away. So it was, it was pretty obvious who, who put the time in.
0: Now, while I was researching this interview, I came across a video on YouTube. Is it true that you had a shift
1: against Detroit that lasted almost four minutes? Yeah, I did. I did. I couldn't get off the ice. <laughs> that was my last season. That's when I knew it was time for me to shut it down. Oh. And uh, it was unbelievable. Yeah, like, And people give it to me all the time, like, what are you complaining about? Like Everyone on both teams changed, except for me and my partner. And some yeah. Red Wings got on twice. Yeah. And no one sports so, like, what is everyone upset about? We were killing it. I,
0: I mean, obviously, I'm just thinking about how exhausted you must have
1: been. Yeah, you know what? I was in pretty good shape. It wasn't too bad. We were mostly in our own hands, so I kind of stood around. <laughs> <laughs> so, a few, one of the things I did see
0: on YouTube where they asked um, your teammates uh, questions about you. And the one that made me laugh the most was uh, Ethan Moreau said that you could buy a whole outfit for five bucks. So, <laughs> I guess my question is... Is that a statement of that you're a savvy shopper or is he criticizing your taste in clothing
1: yeah you know what i found as i as the years went by players became way more interested in how they dressed and my interest didn't really change i I would not consider myself a terrible dresser and i would not definitely at the gq spectrum i'm somewhere in the middle and i just was like if i found a suit like that just worked like i didn't have to have all these fancy suits right and so, like in Edmonton, like guys like Sheldon Surrey and Hogano, Ethan Morrow, Sam Gagne, even Taylor Hall and Jordan everything, they started really dressing pretty well. And like, do you guys want? Can I tell you guys the truth? Is that when you're ugly, you have to dress better. Like, do you think when you go into the Louvre and look at the Mona Lisa, does anyone even know what the frame looks like? I'm the Mona Lisa. You guys are dressed like <laughs> the frames, and they lose their minds, right? <laughs> Especially Sheldon. I mean, that guy's like a model. Uh, he's a good looking guy. Yeah, you know, yeah. all those guys, he was a regular looking guy. Yeah, yeah, I mean,
0: there's no denying it. I mean, the guy, is, you know. And when he yeah. first came around, I remember when he was a rookie with Jersey, or when he, I guess, but not so much. I guess Lou would have made him cut his hair, but he came in and yeah. he had the long hair and everything going. And, uh, I mean, he
1: really looked like he was ready for GQ. He was. He's a good looking guy. Yeah. yeah there's no doubt. I'm, I'm not even close to his yeah. his. But, yeah. All the other ones
2: are pretty
0: ugly. <laughs> so my final two questions are kind of, they um, can kind of be grouped together. So
2: yeah,
0: um, you're in Edmonton, so you're well aware of, of what happened this season with their reignition of the Battle of Alberta. Um, yeah. I kind of find it hypocritical of the league, um, and I don't know how it is up there, but down here where we get the national game on NBC Sports Network. And they talk about, oh, this game's coming up and that game's coming up. And every highlight package they have, they're showing a fight or they're showing a big hit or they're showing this or they're showing that. And, you know, in my old age, like my wife always calls me the cranky old man. uh, It irritates me because they've done everything they can to get the fighting out of the game and yet they'll market uh, rivalry night that way. And, And I'll give you an example. So... I think it was the last game the Islanders and Rangers played before everyone was shut down. So, to me, I, I can't tell you the last time I remember this happening. So, the Islanders' toughest player is a guy named Ross Johnston. I don't know if you're familiar with him. And the Rangers' toughest player is Michael Halley. They both were healthy scratched. Now, when was the last time your most physical player on the Islanders and Rangers were scra- healthy scratched in a game that they play against each other And It drives me crazy. I just... I, I just find it so hypocritical by the league. they market physical, violent hockey, but they do everything in their power to present not present the game not in that fashion.
1: Yeah, we only know what's happened, Joe. Is it? Um, and and I, I see it all the time. So my kids are really young. They're they're eight years old and six, eight, six, seven, eight. What's happening is that 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 group of kids is watching the players play now who have zero physicality in their games, right? Just like the Conor McDavid's of the world, they came into the game loving Sidney Crosby, who is a, is a very hard, like, he still, to me, is the most complete player in the NHL. But he's not a real physical player, right? But when you think back to when when I was coming through, my favorite players were Bob Probert, Luke Richardson, Mark Messier, um, Wendell Clark. These guys could skill it up, but they could also muck it up as good as anybody in the history of the game. So... Every, every generation is losing a little bit of this intensity and a little bit of this, this fighting um, out of it. So you know I hear a lot of people saying, they got to legislate fight out of the game. Don't don't legislate it. Just eventually, the players coming through are going to be less and less interested in the fighting. Look at some of the guys coming through, the top young players, K.O. McCarr, Quinn Hughes. I don't think either one of those guys threw a hit all year. Um, you look at uh, Pedersen, uh, Leon Dreisaitl, uh, McDavid, Johnny Goudreau, you know all these Sean Monahan, all these guys that are you know I'm talking about kind of Western side, but all these guys are so skilled, but I wouldn't really call them physical players. Like they're not. I'm not saying they're scared, but they're not going out of the way to hit like a, a, a to check. Will you see in Calvi, who's really anomalously at this at this yeah. point. So, I think you might actually see opportunity for players who do play with a little bit of chip in their shoulder, chip and you know play with the chip on their shoulder to kind of push back into the league. Because when you see it, you're like, "Oh my God, this is amazing!" To see it, it kind of disrupts the flow of the game. Um, so, yeah, I don't think I really answered your question, but it's my opinion where fighting is going. I think you will see a pushback with the chippiness, but you're not going to see you, you're not going to see uh, fighting. I think that fighting is, I think guys, it's just going to be you don't have to let it out because guys will just stop doing it because they won't have seen it growing it up, like like I did and guys and my, my peers. Yeah, well,
0: yeah. Like I was saying, it was just. The one game this year, or the, the series yeah. of games that everyone talks about this year, was the Edmonton-Calgary games. Yeah. And like I try to tell people, like yeah, for for hockey in twenty nineteen twenty, that's like craziness. But that's not even a blip on the radar during the Tim Hunter and Dave Semenko days. It's not. Sure. That's nothing. Yeah. But now it's just like it's blown up because, the you know, in my opinion, this again, it's my opinion. The, the players of today are more skilled than ever the skill is off the charts yeah. but I what I uh, while I, I find their skill to be amazing I just don't see the passion that uh, uh, that I, I used to see and it just yeah. sure. it's so frustrating for me like I feel fortunate that I, you know and I don't watch much hockey anymore I mean I watch the islanders I, I find it yeah. hard to watch other teams and I'm fortunate enough where I think I, I could turn on the game and I, he doesn't play as much as I want him to but they have Ross Johnson on the team and Matt yeah. Martin on the team, and uh, to a lesser extent Scotty Mayfield. So they have some guys who play physical, but there are some teams that I couldn't watch unless I was yeah. having a hard time
1: sleeping. Yeah, well, that's exactly, and that's. I think that's going to become a bit more than norm. and and yeah. and it's it's you got you know I'm trying to adjust my sights on where the game is and where it's going. So um, that's all I
0: have for you. I, I always ask uh, my guests. Uh, and usually the answer is no because i've i've kept you here for 10 hours and asked you every single thing is there anything i missed in the career of jason
1: strudwick that uh that you want to say no you know what um not really i would just finish off by saying you know what uh, I, i'm really proud of the way my career went you know and and i think when i when i look back um you know you <clears throat> there's my 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 uh i don't have stanley cup rings or norris trophy winners but I don't feel I could have done anything more to get more out of my body to be a better NHL hockey player. So I think that no matter what you're doing, whatever your career is, if you've maxed all your potential, you should be satisfied with that. Don't be disappointed that you know I didn't do this or don't have that. If someone did more than you, but you know, I, as far as maxing my talent, I did the same as Sidney Crosby, but I just I didn't have the talent to start that he did. So uh, you know, I think that's kind of where I, I leave it right there. Like I'm very satisfied. And, when I close my eyes and I'm like, hey, it went really well,
0: and now I move on to the rest of my life. Oh, uh, you should be proud because uh, uh, when I click on your hockey DB, there's a ton of lines there with the NAL next to them, and yeah. you know, <laughs> I mean, you. Uh, not, I'm not saying you know nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. You should, you know, you should be proud and, uh, you know, for what you did. I mean, there's uh, people like me that would trade with you in a heartbeat, and uh, I respect yeah. you so much for the player that you were and the person that you are, and Uh, Just uh, thanks again for coming on the show man. Anytime buddy best luck with everything. Thanks, man I'll talk to you later. Sounds good. All right. Bye Let there be no doubt after hearing that interview that uh, Jason Stroderick was destined for success post-hockey doing stuff uh, In front of the camera without skates, although the Battle of the Blades obviously was on skates albeit a different kind of skates Um, but he's been so successful post-hockey Not a surprise. What a personality. Thanks, Jason, for the time. Uh, And once again, Jason is the star of the Jason Greger Show, which can be heard on TSN 1260 in Edmonton. I urge you to catch it if it's within your listening range, although I guess now with the internet, uh, the world is within listening range. So that's the Jason Greger Show starring Jason Strudwick, uh, TSN 1260. And just again, to uh, remind you what I said in the intro, I wasn't trying to be a preachy douchebag. Uh, I just I'm really growing weary of the coronavirus and uh, I just want everybody to do their part, myself included. Let's get past this and uh, let's move forward and uh, get back to whatever reality awaits us. As far as next week, I am not saying any guests anymore. Uh, a couple of times I thought I had someone lined up and um, through no fault of anybody's uh, things fell through Uh, scheduling uh, people work I work and uh, so what I'm going to say is I hope I have a guest for you next week if I don't uh, it will be shortly after that but I appreciate you sticking with me I hope you enjoyed this episode have a great day and be safe everybody